Welcome. To Arcade Audio. Welcome to Blank Slate and thanks for pushing play. This is your host, Chris Mullet, back after a predictably long Blank Slate break to talk the 2021 Academy Awards. As I've been previewing on Married with Movies for quite some time, but I have two, I have one very qualified gentleman joining me today, and I have one gentleman who I just want to hear his reactions to things we have to talk about on today's show. They're the other two hosts of the Blank Slate. They're both in Chicago, Illinois. We will start with Rich Camelucci. Rich, what's going on, buddy? I'm in a surly mood. Why are you in a surly mood? Because after pledging, I don't know who I pledged to, to not get involved with NFTs, non-fungible tokens, spent like an hour of my goddamn day today trying to get these dang tops NFTs because it seemed like a pretty low bar you could still like use your credit card you didn't have to like magically convert your money into to something that isn't real to get some more shit that isn't real it seems like all right this is gonna be easy it's gonna be a fun thing who knows what happens they're cheap they're five bucks a pack and nothing wasted a whole fucking afternoon on nothing it feels very good when I'm the the other person on a three-person recording that's shaking their head at the person talking, as I just did with uh, your other host of the Blank Slate, Tony Colt. Tony, what's going on? I don't have anything nearly as dramatic as uh, Rich wasting $5 in an afternoon going on. But, uh, but I didn't. I, I would have loved to have wasted $5. Sorry. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to tell the whole story, because that's the opposite of good pod. But... Uh, <laughs> I uh, I feel you question mark. <laughs> uh, you don't. You get I on a, on a, this past weekend I was at a a collectible store that Rich and I fr- have frequented in the uh, the Florida area, and the person was listening to a trading card podcast, which I don't know which one it was, Rich. So don't ask me. And they were talking about NFTs, and it honestly made me leave the store quicker. I was like, I just don't want to hear about this anymore. It's it's deplorable. Anyway, Tony, how's the Super League, huh? Uh, it collapsed today, so no more Excellent. Super League. The last 24 Feeling hours. Feeling great. Uh, it was all, they, they almost made it to 48 hours. So, mm. yeah, feel it. Feeling great about the collapse of the Super League and uh, my club Liverpool running away with their tail between their legs and hopefully the American owners being forced out. So far, uh, if we were making a batting average of me at the plate about being able to take part in these conversations, I am 0 for 2 with two strikeouts. <laughs> it relates- I think we're going to talk about movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hopefully at least hit a triple on this. So what, yeah, what we're doing here, I, in the, the history of the blanks, I think that there's several things we've reconvened on many different times. Of course, basketball, the NBA, has been one. And then uh, the award season between the Emmys and particularly the Oscars have been the other thing. And this year I made it a personal mission and quest to watch as many of the, the prestige award films as I could, because this year being unprecedented as it was, it was kind of the easiest to ever do it. Because if you have multiple streaming platforms, all these movies are available at your disposal, not even having to leave the uh, the couch. So I did that. 
Um, I made a, a quest to watch every single movie that was nominated in the big six categories. Uh, and I wanted to talk to like my two favorite movie people that aren't my wife about it. So, uh, so here we are. I know Tony, you uh, also kind of uh, followed my charge and watched most of them. I tried to. Yeah. I, I have uh, some blind spots, including the father, um, United States first Billy Holiday, Pieces of a Woman, uh, but I've seen most of the other major ones. Having a blind spot for the father is actually really thematically correct. And hey. Rich, uh, who mentioned earlier in the show, uh, or mentioned earlier in our text chain, this morning we were like, hey man, you have your list just so we kind of compare in advance. You were like, nope, <laughs> I don't got one. I'm curious to see like how far you've kind of gotten this season. So I only watched about like for the category for like the nominees and the categories we're going to talk about, I only watched about six of those movies because, and I wanted to talk about this when you kind of already brought it up because of the, the situation that the year proposed for the movie industry, a lot of these films were more accessible to a wider audience than ever feels like. Yes, absolutely. And, and because of that, Instead of being able to like making it a point to like going out to like an art house theater or or anything of the like, you know, them all just being on the same device in the same looking direction as literally every other form of entertainment. I found myself getting railroaded uh, in watching a lot of these movies or having shared, having shared a lot of my watching time with, uh, with you know my significant other mm -hmm. and us having to like come together on uh, a, a movie that we both wanted to watch sure. and oftentimes uh, it ended up being either like you know we're watching shows or we're watching you know whatever the new hulu doc is or like we're watching an older movie so like most of these i i, I had to like of the six that i got to watch i watched most of them on my own same so I did the same. And that was kind of one of my big early questions that I was going to pose. And Tony can kind of answer it because Rich already kind of addressed it was. So I personally loved it in that the accessibility and the flexibility I had to do it. But at the same time, you and I can attest back in college and even past then, there's nothing like from like October to like February or March go into like an art house theater and slapping like $7 down and being like, what the fuck is Venus about? You know what I mean? Like there, there's something, about, season, baby. There's yeah. something about movie season and going to it. Did you feel any kind of like sadness or excitement? Like how did you feel doing this in this kind of new environment this year? Um, I felt a little bit of sadness. There were definitely some movies this year that I would love to have seen in a theater, mm -hmm. um, including you know, some of the Oscar movies, not just like Godzilla versus Kong or Tenet or something like that. Right. But, you know, it, it, it would have been really cool to see something like Sound of Metal in a theater sure. with the whole sound experience there or, you know, Mank, where, where you know, it's, it, they would probably have fucked with the aspect ratio or something, you know. Um, another round would have been great in the theater. That, that whole ending sequence, I mean, Hell my yeah. God. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I definitely missed it. Um, there were other times that I was glad to like, like rich, just be kind of curled up on the couch or the floor or whatever with, with my lady and, you know, watching, you know, 
something quieter like Nomadland or Minari, um, you know, but I definitely did miss it for, you know, some of the more um, like, like the bigger emotional movies this year. 100%. Did you, so I myself, there were three movies that I had to still pay for beyond like my normal subscription service because I either was too geeked up to watch them to wait for them to get cheaper or you know, the past couple of weeks, there were two that were still just premium rentals. Did you pay to see anything? Uh, yeah, I paid, uh, I paid extra uh, POV for um, Minari and Promising Young Woman. Okay. So and we, sh- we shared two of the three. Yeah, I did those and I, and I did the same for the father. And okay. it's funny not to tip my hand too much into like my list and my, my picks, but of the three movies that I paid for, those three are in my top 10. And I don't know if that like, psychologically like affected me at all is like okay i put down money to watch this like does that like make me more invested we paid for this movie you're gonna like it right like like uh well i guess that's not true because the fourth movie so i wrote a list of every movie i saw that came out in 2020 and my uh third worst movie of the year was scoob which we (laughs) which we paid for to to watch with our our four-year-old uh and it was pretty shitty uh so i guess that does impact that a little bit but if it occupied your four-year-old for like any length of time though it was totally worth the money oh 100 and like that one's different that one was actually a purchase so i paid 20 dollars. we just have that now so anytime she wants to watch it like that's just a part of like our apple tv whereas the others were just rentals so that's that's what i call like a film or a piece of art like succeeding in its mission is just mm-hmm. like that just has to eat, eat innings for you so yeah. if it's doing that it is it is doing its job Sure. I want to see how many baseball analogies we can fit in while none of us actively watch baseball. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched baseball in years. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> well, let's let's get started. So I was going to kind of go bottom the top here um, and get to kind of knock out some of like the technical categories and stuff we probably don't have much discussion over so we can really get, you know, dig our claws into the big six or the big eight, really, even with screenplay. So going uh, bottom the top here from uh, Wikipedia, best visual effects, which is... So of all the things that have been impacted by this year, I love what best visual effects became this year <laughs> in terms of nominees. So the nominees for best visual effects are Love and Monsters, The Midnight Sky, Mulan, The One and Only Ivan, and Tenet, which I have seen. I've seen the same amount of these movies as I have best live action short. Me too. None of these films. Which, which is amazing because normally visual effects is going to be the category where it's like, okay, well, this is my May, June, July viewing and this stuff blew it out of the water. Um, and this, I, I, I have no dog in the fucking fight. Uh, the only thing that I do know is that uh, I think the biggest Christopher Nolan fan that I know, Andrew Zengri, saw Tenet and absolutely hated it. So, so that goes to show you everything you probably need to know about Tenet. Yeah, even if you would risk your life to go see it in the middle of a pandemic, you could still pan it. So that's all that needs to be said about whether people are too invested in movies, Mullet. I think you should you ought to be able to let anything go about Minari or Promising Young Woman or The Father, given that you spent four dollars to rent it on Amazon Prime or Apple or whatever, versus Zangri, you know, triple masking and and not having popcorn at uh, Tenet. Well, that's even worse. Like you had to sit through without refreshments. Like you just had to sit there and not 
like, at least like enjoy something in your mouth. If I have time before I post this, I may try to like call him for like five minutes. Be like, hey, so we talked about you risking your life to go see Tenet. How did that decision turn out? Was <laughs> it worth it? Just to put him on the spot and be like, we discussed this before. And he's like, man, I want to go fucking see it. But like, I don't know. And then like the next time I talk to him, he's like, yeah, so I went to go see Tenet. What a piece of shit that was. <laughs> it's just like, okay, well, you're alive. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, he's alive. Yeah. I it, guess. It, it, <laughs> I guess. That should be Andrew Zingri's autobiography title. He's alive, ellipsis, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tenet will win that award 100%. Um, Rich, you didn't see any of those, right? Nope. Okay. Just checking. Didn't think so. Uh, Best film editing, an award that uh, hopefully is going to get some prestige back to it after being won by Bohemian Rhapsody and I think something else pretty crappy last year. Uh, You got The Father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Tony, what do you you think here? I would... I think of, of these, and again, I have not seen The Father. I've seen uh, the remainder of these films. I would go with Sound of Metal of, of all of these movies. Um, I thought it had some really uh, cool visual sequences. Um, it's really hard to forget the start of the film with like the strobe effects and like the live music performance of um, uh, Riz Ahmed's character, whose name I'm blanking out at the moment, Ruben, mm-hmm. and his girlfriend. Um, it's and then just all of the i mean obviously the sound in that movie is crazy but um it's 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 just really well assembled like that was a movie that just felt really sound from uh, uh, sound is the wrong word that felt really uh <laughs> it's never felt really solid yeah oh boy uh that felt really solid from like a sound and an editing and a structure standpoint yeah, using the word sound for sound of metal is never going to be the wrong word for it. I'm actually yeah. curious. So I believe that's the favorite for the award. I'm actually curious to see because they fused the sound categories together this year. We don't have sound mixing and sound editing. We just have best sound. So I don't know if like the editing board is going to like consider sound more heavily, if that makes any sense. I know I still to this day don't know a lot about mixing and editing. I know one's like the capture of sound on set and the others like you know how sound is fixed post-production the actual like the actual telecom production person should probably correct me um but he's just he's just looking rich (laughs) rich sound rich sound mixing is what the nolan films always get wrong right where like you can't hear the dialogue and it's over everything yeah, that's the sound mixing. mixing is when you take the audio files to Home Depot and they put them in the paint can. And Got they it. They shake the, it. Yeah, they shake it up. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so I've I've sound of metal as my second choice. I personally went with the father here uh, because, and anything I mentioned for the father, trust me, I know is an absolute shock. I saved it near the end of my viewing experience. Ended up being my second favorite fucking movie of the entire fucking year, without any sort of sarcasm whatsoever. I love the father. I may never watch it again because it ruined my day. And then day afterwards because of, you know, what it encompasses, but the narrative structure and the way the movie is pieced together is very, very predicated on the editing that goes into the movie. And I think that that is an accomplishment 
uh, in and of itself. So I'd, I'd be fine with sentimental winning, but my personal pick would be for the father because um, I don't know what else it's really going to win. I think it's its best uh, its best chance. As long as it's not – so every year at this point, I, last year's winner was Ford versus Ferrari, which I have not seen. Um, but I'm well, sure – I'm sure <laughs> – I'm a James Mangold fan, but I've not seen Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm sure that its editing is better than Bohemian Rhapsody, but not indicative of best film editing. So this year's movie that really I just hope doesn't win is The Trial of the Chicago 7, which I think I can Oh say. my God, if that wins anything, I am, I am going to throw barrels like Donkey Kong. That, is, I, that movie is so bad. Okay, so I, I am I am going to do crime on a podcast here by just like directly referring to another podcast. But I was sure. listening to the podcast, The Big Picture, and Wesley Morris was guesting on it, mm-hmm. and he said something that I I had been thinking about, but had not put my finger on this way of expressing it. Trial of the Chicago Seven felt like a TV movie. And you see all the people in it and you're just like, wait, what? Why did they get all of these famous people to do this piece of garbage? (laughs) This thing sucks. I'm actively like having to try to think and remember not to just repeat things I have heard on the big picture, which has been a a great through line for me over the, over the uh, the Oscar season. I will say of the 15 movies that uh, we talked about earlier that have been nominated for the big six, I have Charles Chicago seven at 10th out of 15 on my list. (laughs) I think there are five movies that are that are for me personally not as enjoyable as Child of Chicago Seven. I won't say necessarily they are better movies. Well, I did a top five and then I just wrote last Child of <laughs> Chicago Seven. Uh, I, I don't blame you, Rich. I, was Trial one of the movies that you did see? If I'm if I'm remembering you correctly, uh, I did see it. Okay. I liked it. Um, but I also, uh, historically, if Wesley Morris has one opinion, I, I historically tend to have the opposite. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm in not the middle. Even on, not even on like like crazy things. It's like normally if he's on like a rewatchables or something like that, like fine, like there. But like when it comes to like movie season and stuff like that, yeah, I just find myself going like, oh no, I thought the other. I thought the other. I am right Which, in like, the middle. I realize said. makes me the 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 uncultured one no uh, no no but no no because there are a lot of times that i don't agree with Wesley morris either but on that particular one i think a lot of people sure. are on this one and uh, mullet i don't know if you want to talk more about it or if i should talk more about just like the stuff about it that i don't think works it uh, I think it's the most heavy-handed movie out of all of these. Yeah, it's Sorkin. Of course it's going to be heavy-handed. But I think it's heavy-handed at the worst possible time to be heavy-handed with with the content matter and who is doing it. I, I think we're going to get to it more because there's a category coming up that I think it should have been overrepresented because if one thing is good about the movie, as you mentioned, Tony, there's just a lot of really good actors in it that do yeah. that do really good job with the, with the material that's provided. And... And like the person that got nominated was maybe my least favorite part of the movie for the movie. <laughs> so we, we can get to him and probably get a little bit more in depth on it later. But um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with kind of both points. 
there's a, a Wesley Morris opinion that he has about, I know, I think Tony's favorite movie that I 100% agreed on because it's not yeah. something he was particularly a big fan of. Does and not then, like Judas the Black Messiah. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, there's like, I remember he did, I think he was on a rewatchables once when we were talking about Get Out. And he said that like the grandma won the movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> That's the worst take of all time. Just because of the scene where she quietly cries. And it's like, Okay, dude. So, okay, Rich, man, yeah. yeah, Rich, you nailed it. <laughs> you one hundred percent nailed it. Uh, uh, I look forward to us winning uh, his New York Times uh, Best of Award for twenty twenty one, joining uh, Maxwell Jacob Freeman. All right, no more talking about Wesley Morris. Done. Uh, best costume design. This is always a, a fun one. Same thing with makeup and hairstyling. We got Emma, Ma Rainey, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Uh, did they just do a new, a new Pinocchio movie like every like four years or something? I just assumed it was one of those things where it's like some like real deep cut foreign art house movie that just called itself Pinocchio for a reason. Uh, but also it could just be another Pinocchio movie. So is JTT was, in this one? No, I was going to make the joke. I was like, oh, is this just like another Roberto Benini one? No, I think this is just the Roberto Benini one that was supposed to come out for like 20 years. Oh, no, it's hold on. I went to the page. It's the second live action Pinocchio movie to star Roberto Benini. How does that happen? How does it get to the end of that and go, let's let's run it back? I get to be Geppetto this time. Yeah, th- like is this like the last dance of of Benini Pacino a uh, Pacino? <laughs> Obviously, Roberto Benini do an Al Pacino movie, <laughs> uh, Pinocchio movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, I have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom here. Just be just for Viola Davis alone <laughs> is what. Uh, oh, sorry, I jumped ahead to makeup. Spoiler: I have Ma Rainey for makeup as well. Uh, no, I have for costume. I have Ma Rainey uh, mostly for the Ma Rainey character. Some tight ass suits and nothing else. Uh, Emma will probably win this because it's the period piece. But you know, trying trying to be a little trying to be a little contradictory here. I, I haven't seen uh, three of the five nominees here, but of the two that I have seen, uh, the costuming in Ma Rainey was better than Mank. So, one hundred percent because uh, it didn't include a lot of leg bandages. Is uh, is Emma the Clueless adaptation? Yes, <laughs> Anna Taylor Joy. Anna Taylor Joy plays Cher Horowitz. <laughs> and I'm not going to even bother looking at the cast to see who would be. Uh, uh, Breckenmeyer. It's the first person, other person I could think of. It's the only time Breckenmeyer's name's been said on an Oscar podcast. Not Paul Rudd. <laughs> no, but Breck, uh, I <laughs> went for the. I, I couldn't think of Donald Faison's <laughs> name's quick enough. You know, Rip, the low hanging fruit. Breckenmeyer. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of low hanging fruit, best makeup and hairstyling uh, Emma, My Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Pinocchio, and Usurping. Uh, Mulan here is Hillbilly Elegy, multi-time Academy Award nominated movie Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, before I let Rich go, I will just say that it's a damn shame that we did not get the opportunities to see Harley Quinn go back to back here. No birds of prey after Suicide Squad won this award several years ago, as Steve will never let me forget, Academy Award winning film Suicide Squad. Uh, but I already tipped my hand. I got Ma Rainey here. Viola Davis looks like that's how she looks every day for the rest of her life. <laughs> it's impeccable how well that was done. Yeah. 
the the way that they make those characters inhabit the space and it seems like they did make the set about 110 degrees just the way everybody is is covered with sweat all the time and just giving it everything is mm-hmm. really if I, and you know the makeup is just running down the face it is kind of you know it's it, it's it, it's almost cartoonish with yes. her but it, it's so effective incredibly effective it's the only yeah if you can like utilize makeup that well to tell the story well then you win you win young fellow yeah rich earlier in our text chain you had requested um you said 20 i i said seven (laughs) but uh you and i i know tony did not slum it up here you and i both watched hillbilly elegy and there were two movies i specifically when the conjecture was coming out about Oscar season, I was trying to avoid just because of a lack of options. I was hoping I didn't have to watch the little things in Hillbilly Elegy. And I went one for two. Uh, <laughs> I did not watch wait, the little things. <laughs> oh, you haven't watched that piece of garbage. Oh, you watched it. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> uh, I own it now. So I have a friend, a uh, former coworker, uh, with uh, who is a member of SAG, and she gets screeners. So oh, she, she sent screeners. she <laughs> sent me a ton of screeners. She sent me a bunch of TV ones like Stranger Things, The Crown, uh, Queen's Gambit. She sent me five movie ones, and one of the five movies she sent me was The Little Things. So now I own the screener, which is just Jared Leto's stupid face. It's a really fun watch. Uh, Jared Leto's stupid face is a great way to just describe what you get from the movie. <laughs> Well, from one stupid face to the other, Glenn Close's less stupid face because it's just covered under 10 pounds of makeup. Rich, I watched it, and you were like, I know I have to watch it at some point just because of my Florida trash gimmick. And No, you, that's not why. Why? Because of my girlfriend's Appalachia trash gimmick. So they kind of fused together and formed the perfect storm of you guys watching the movie. Go ahead. So at the end of the shitty movie that, that is Hillbilly Elegy, uh, like every year there's a there's a, a clear example of like you look up Oscar bait in the dictionary and, and that one movie is going to be next to it. Oh, and yeah. this year it was Hillbilly Elegy. Yep. And uh, that said, you get to the end of it and it's based on a true story that's based on a, a fucking book about this dipshit's life. That I, I don't want to bring him up again, but I think that was verbatim Wesley Morris's review. <laughs> good, good. Uh, and at the end of the movie, over the credits, there's like the actual like home movie footage from this guy's fucking life. And you're watching it and you're like, how did they superimpose Glenn Close onto the Meemaw character yeah. <laughs> in this? And by that standard alone, I go, okay, maybe it deserves to be nominated for best hair and makeup. <laughs> So you're making the case for her hillbilly elegy here. Yes. Uh, well, no, I'm not making the case. I'm just saying I get the nomination. Okay, the nomination. Backhanded yeah, case. Yeah. yeah. That's a backhanded case. I will make the backhanded case. Uh, and then aside from that, you know, I'll make the backhanded case for Glenn Close to at least one day win an Oscar. It's. I hope it's not this year. It will not be this year. Better not be this year. She went before a couple people really set themselves out 
it was looking like, oh, was this year for Best Supporting Actor so weird and weak that she might win for this? Like, this is like on Golden Pond level. And I'm going to talk about her just being old. Like, it's just like, this is a bad, because she got nominated for a Razzie for the same performance. Yeah. One of those rare cases. Gotta uh, love it. So I don't have it as my worst of the 15. I have it as 14. Uh, I'll get to my 15 a, a little bit later. But, uh, and I don't have it as my worst movie of the year. The worst movie of the year was Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, and I won't tweet about it anymore. So people will stop tweeting me about how I hated Wonder Woman 1984, who I don't even follow, which did legitimately happen. I was almost disappointed as to how not as bad as I was hoping it was, it was. Does that make sense? Like I was, I was waiting for, I was waiting. No, it was bad. Don't get me wrong, but it was made. It wasn't Spider-Man 3. Yeah, it wasn't Cats. It wasn't Spider-Man 3. I was, it was just, there waiting, it was just like, tone deaf and not fun bad. Tone yeah. deaf and not fun, I think, are the two best ways to put it. Amy Adams is one of the most grating and irritating portrayals and characters of all time. The, the story is all over the place. And also, it's apparently not what the fucking book is. They just had to, like, dramatize this guy's, this, this dipshit's, like, self-help Appalachian mindset book into like oh throw some stories in there and it's just ron howard uh totally he's uh he's like a baseball analogy ron howard directed that piece of shit he's like he's kurt schilling on the mound uh wearing the bloody sock but like two weeks ago (laughs) like he's just he cannot pitch anymore get him out of there so I have had the weird dissonant experience of watching Arrested Development again lately in mm-hmm. the midst of the pandemic. And it's so weird to think about like Ron Howard, who was involved with, with that, which was like the cutting, like the bloody cutting edge of comedy. And it's yeah. still like, like really, really funny and outrageous. If you watch it now, like the fact that he's in, involved in something so like crass and awful and like obviously crass and awful and by the way that dipshit who the book is about is going to be in congress next time out so uh, of course get ready get ready for congressman vance oh that just already sounds like a evil congressman character in like a marvel movie congressman vance but like a crossover with the dukes of hazard <laughs> that was their their cousins right coy and vance it's coy and vance coy and vance yeah oh. Uh, yeah hillbillyology was not my finest moment nor was it for anybody should have watched the little things (laughs) I guess maybe well I have it now I'll watch it at some point it'll come out of the box Meredith movies every single week wherever your podcast best cinematography one of my favorite categories nominees are Judas and the Black Messiah Mank News of the World Nomadland and Trial of the Chicago 7 uh I uh, have two two that I'm pretty fine with. Uh, my choice would be Nomadland, personally, just in terms of scope and what was captured. Uh, but I will say, and I, another one of you I think know this, I watched News of the World and I kind of dug it. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and it wasn't. And it wasn't even. I watched it after. I wasn't. Didn't watch it before, thinking it was going to get nominated for a bunch of things. It didn't get nominated. I was like, oh, I'll still fucking watch this. <laughs> it's. I, I. I had means to watch it for free, so I'll fucking watch it. It. It didn't set the world on fire, you know. 
but in terms of how it looked and how it was shot, that's something that it should be recognized for. Um, on top right. of something else we'll get to later. But Nomadland would be would be mine just because there's something that needs to be said about how you can make th that world look the way that it looked. So I think that's the I think that would be the appropriate award for Nomadland. I think that is the right way to reward what people actually like about Nomadland. That's a wonderful take. Cinematography. I have another take on it later, um, which I think is the most prevalent take that is actually going to happen. That's not best picture, but yeah, you hit the you nail on the head. And yeah. I, 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 I have that. I have one question written down on my question sheet and it says, what am I missing about Nomadland and specifically about the directing? <laughs> so I can't wait to ask you that question. And what am I missing about that versus the fact that it does look great and that there is a separate award for that. Yeah. I, I have an answer for it that combines cinematography with it and, and we'll get there. I will say though, that I have in parentheses for my director, who my winner would be, and it's somebody that was not nominated. Uh, Me I do, too. I do want to get and into And they're stuff. different. <laughs> Probably. They almost definitely are different. Um, Rich, any, any takes here? You're a man from behind the camera. Like, look, I get the TV movie comment about Trial of the Chicago 7. There's some good TV movies out there. I like TV movies. <laughs> There totally are, but yeah. but this is but this is a, a very generous uh, uh, nomination for Trial of Chicago Seven. Yeah, um, I was uh, talking earlier on Whack Pack uh, with Connor um, about Oscar movies as well. He asked me like just as we were signing off, uh, Mank. Like when it comes to Fincher and cinematography, there's always going to be like uh, a, a high floor uh, you can expect from his films. Um, and then what was the other one uh, that I that I had actually seen from this? Judas. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, yeah. There's some cool stuff in that movie as well. But um, I don't know. Probably Mank. Yeah. I realized we kind of overshot it on Mank there. Like that in the next category we're getting to, I think, are, are Mank's best chances, which is production design. Uh, production design is The Father, Ma Rainey, Mank, News of the World, and Tenet. Mank is production design like 9 million percent right like that is that is maybe what the award is made for almost kind of like once upon a time in hollywood last year about capturing a time period and a style that's mank all day long um i did not like mank <laughs> it was the first movie i watched so I think I need all to right, go back. We're having that conversation. All right. Yeah. yeah it, all right. It, it, it was the first movie of all these that I watched. So I feel I owe it a, a, owe it to go back and watch it. But it just didn't hit with me. And I don't know what it is. It's about movies, which I love. It's a director who I love. It's actors who I love. I, I think I know what it is. I think it was the the passion project of it all. I personally hated the screenplay and was really happy when Jack Fincher didn't get nominated, which I know is probably a mean thing to say <laughs> because <laughs> he took his dead dad script and made it something and it got snubbed. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that's probably cruel. 
but something about it just rang very uninteresting to me and i i couldn't shake it and i i I think that you disagree tony to a certain extent um to an extent but not entirely um i think that it works on its own terms in kind of well as kind of a well right citizen kane is already kind of a meta examination of media and power Mm -hmm. through a me- through like a separate medium that has its own power. So this is like meta on another level. So yeah, like it should just kind of tick every box in terms of like, oh, it's about movies and it's, you know, it's a lovingly shot passionate project and Fincher. And I think what doesn't work about it is um, Gary Oldman's performance, number one. Ooh, okay. For me, for me, I, I, I did not like Gary Oldman's performance very much. Um, that's a personal taste thing. I didn't think it was like bad. I just didn't think that it worked in the context of that movie. I didn't get what he was exactly going for, like like what he was trying to, what like like how he was trying to portray Mank, like like what aspects of of Mank specifically he was trying to get across. And like, I don't think that that worked particularly well with any any themes the movie was trying to get to. Like, I think there was a sort of dissonance between any any kind of broader theme the movie was trying to get to and then, like, Gary Oldman's performance. That's a very good look at that. But I would say, like, thinking back on it, that might also be an underlying thing. Besides his last hurrah, like that amazing monologue that he has near the end of the movie, I, I think beyond that, I think that is because there's just these long stretches of him just like, you know, spit and yarn, and it's just, there's, it's like, what tone are we going for? I, I want to apologize a little bit to Trial of Chicago 7 because the election night chunk of Mank, I think was the more cleverly hidden heavy-handed section of the movie. <laughs> um, especially when it came out two weeks, I think, before the election, right? Like, it was very purposefully timed when it came out. Um, and you know, I'm obviously for what I was talking about, but it wasn't something that I was anticipating to have to sit through a half an hour when I just wanted to see Orson Welles yell at the writer of Citizen Kane for the, those 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Or at least peas. I, I don't know if he was still yelling at peas back then. I also thought the Orson Welles portrayal didn't work. Yeah. That guy a was a lot of good. stuff about this movie. You know, the more that I'm looking at my, at my film, at my, at my best film list, I, I am wanting to move Mank down. We got a live change. I talk wow. and think about it. Yeah. I'm moving <laughs> yeah. it down. I actually am. Um, I, I was earlier going to say I'm making a live change here. I moved Trial of Chicago 7 down one after, because I had it above Ma Rainey. And I, when we get to the acting performances, I want to get into why Ma Rainey as an overall movie didn't work for me. But uh, but yeah, I'm putting it above Trial of Chicago 7 because I just remembered Eddie Redmayne and I had to switch those. <sighs> All right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so Mank, Mank, I saw it pretty recently. Um, I, you know, it, it, yeah, it just, it just didn't all pull together. Um, I liked it stylistically. I appreciate good black and white. I thought it was shot well. I thought it looked good. Uh, yeah, it, it, it just didn't really work. Rich, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. I want you to, uh, to 
uh, brainstorm what's finally going to get Fincher over this Oscar hump because he always pumps out these movies like Social Network and Benjamin Button and uh, I'm trying to think of what the, one of the more recent ones uh, where he just gets accolades after accolades and he can never get over the hump yeah. best picture, best yeah. director, any of it. What what can Fincher do, Rich? It's going to be the Dogecoin story. <laughs> uh, the story of the little crypto that could. Uh, <laughs> uh Not knowing any of the principles, but just guessing who the principles probably are, cast the top three people. Cast the Eisenberg, Garfield, and Timberlake of that movie. <laughs> Oh God! Uh, well, I mean, like you can always, you know, count on Brad Pitt coming in there. Okay. Uh, uh, and then, of course, you know, wouldn't be surprised if um, uh, what's her face from Mank? Uh, I already forget her name. Amanda Seyfried. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, wants to work with. Uh, uh, there was an interview that she did where she's like, "I fucking love to work with him. Let's do oh, it shit. a billion times. Let's go." Yeah, you don't have to do Little Red or whatever the hell that stupid Little Red Riding Hood horror movie was. Yeah. No wonder you like David Fincher. <laughs> Uh, and then let's, uh, go with, oh boy. Um, what, uh, 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 let's, let's say, uh, let's get him out of the Netflix realm. Cause he just made a Netflix movie. Noah Centineo. Why not? I don't sure. know who he is. I've just heard his name before. <laughs> I was like, sure. I've, I've heard the name. Couldn't visualize yeah. him. So perfect. Nope. In my head, he, he looks, uh, like the other, uh, boy that just started doing well in movies and he's going to be in Doom. Oh my goodness. What's Timothy Chalamet? Chalamet. In my head, he looks like Rich, like, you're not uh, that you're not that old Chalamet. You're not that old to not know Timothy Chalamet, Rich. I just forget yeah. the name is all. I don't not know who he is. I just forget the name. This is the argument you're going to be making for the next 30 years. <laughs> I Here's know the reason, don't know the name. Here's the reason I'm kind of getting back into baseball is because anyone that's good is the son of somebody we watched growing up. Exactly. Like Fernando literally. Fernando Tatis Jr. is my Fernando favorite. Fernando Tatis, Bo Bichette, Cavin uh, 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 Biggio. <laughs> Wait, there's a Cavin Biggio? Kevin Biggio. Oh, okay. Now I'm back in baseball. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Is Cecil Fielder so playing the same team as like Owen Bagwell or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but he's on the same seat as, team as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. There's a Vlad Jr. Okay. I, and he's going to be better than Vlad. I'm in. I've wanted a Vladimir Guerrero jersey for like 15 years, and now I'm going to get a Vladimir Guerrero Jr. jersey. Does yeah. Owen Bagwell just uh, stand at the plate sitting down? Because he can't get any lower than the fucking <laughs> ground. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, his batting stance is him on a squatty potty. Uh, two things. Number one, I'm proud of myself that I didn't ask you to recast Army Hammer. And number two, can't do <laughs> it. you can't do it. And number two, uh, I realized uh, I really just want to hear Matthew McConaughey say Dogecoin. He's <laughs> saying Dogecoin. It's all about that Dogecoin, man. Thanks. Uh, I, uh, uh, as far as Mank goes, because we're still talking about movies, right? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I thought it was fine. I largely agree with pretty much everything Tony said about like, it was fine. Yeah. A lot of stuff worked that wasn't narrative. Uh, I liked a lot of the, like a lot of the performances I did. Like I loved Amanda Seyfried's performance. I loved, I mean, I love Charles dance and anything, honestly, uh, Charles dance, dance. Uh, but Mostly, the thing I probably appreciated from her most is that it mentioned the fact, and whenever I tell people this, they don't believe me, that the entire movie industry was going to move to Florida 
And there was in Hollywood, Florida was going to be the new Hollywood, but hurricanes, you know, screwed everything up and they left the Tarzan monkeys in Daniel, Florida. And they're still there to this day. Is that where the monkey jungle is there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just so Mank for whatever it was validated me a lot. (laughs) I appreciated it for that. I love how your movie uh, preferences just catered to what movies make you sound better in casual conversation. (laughs) How how did this movie personally affect me? And that's how (laughs) I will judge it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you you gave me an anecdote to an anecdote. You you touch on something that I've I've kind of discussed with a couple other people, and I wanted to, to mention here is that as as geeked up and excited I as I am to talk have this conversation and watch all these movies this year definitely did for me feel like everything was fine like this was and I think that's the nature of the year and yeah. what we didn't get and what did possibly get rushed out or what had more emphasis placed on it was if I'm looking at like my overall list. Like usually like my top 10 overall movies, I feel like are pretty unassailable and like, they're all great. And like my top 10, like my 10 is like, it was good. And that's about as, as like hard as I can go on a lot of it, where there's a lot of other ones that are just, you know, kind of the middle of the list is just, it was a movie. It was fine, but it wouldn't be here in any other year. Um, And that's kind of where I, I fit in with Mike. Uh, best sound. We already kind of discussed that sound of metal, I think is, if Sound of Metal does not win this, it's a travesty because usually this is the loud Michael Bay explosion category. Uh, and Sound of Metal was legitimately probably the best sound I've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> and it yeah. didn't have one explosion in it. Um, no, it didn't. Yeah, it's up I was against... trying to think if anything in like the band ever exploded. No, it didn't. Right, like they were just a two-man band, so they didn't have enough uh, pyrotechnics. They didn't have like a trick set of drums or anything. No, they're they're very much an experimental band. I think the lead singer, one song, all she does is yell like Yoko Ono. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Uh, the other nominees here were Soul, News of the World, Mank, and Greyhound. Greyhound, I believe, is that Tom Hanks Apple TV submarine movie. Yes. And- submarine movies always have to have a great sound. You can have a lot of whooshing. Yeah. You gotta have a lot of like, yeah. You gotta have you know the guy with you know with his hands on the on the headphones going like torpedo and all that shit. One year, I one year I want to go to a uh, the the best. It sounds super fun and easy to write a submarine movie. (laughs) (laughs) I was already gonna say uh, I want to like one year look at best sound and there's like a submarine movie and the sound the guy that's nominated is just Michael Winslow. (laughs) (laughs) The submarine knows is like yeah we just hired him. Michael Winslow. <laughs> He's just cheap and he did exactly what we needed to do. Uh, Sound of the Metal to me is like the epitome of what I was just talking about of that like it was a totally fine movie that I think will have more rewatchability the more and more I think about it. I have it smack dab in the middle of my list. Uh, has two good performances ultimately to me overrated performances that have both got recognized but you know as a whole I do like it subverted a lot of your expectations. Like you watch that movie and you're like, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen with this relationship or with his drug abuse or with him at the, at the, uh, the camp. And like, none of those things happen. So I'm like, okay, I can appreciate that. It's more of an uplifting story. That's interesting. I thought this movie was, was drawn with like big crayon marks and you can kind of see where it was going to go. Like I could definitely tell 
what that last moment of the movie was going to be as soon as the first instance of that was even mentioned. I was like, okay, all right, I see what's going on here. The last moment. Which is fine, which is fine. Lots of other parts of it, I was kind of like expecting something to happen and it didn't happen, Um, which was good. But yeah, like the broad outline of the movie, I felt like it was pretty easy to see those marks. But, you know, yeah, the performances were good. But like, like Nomadland with cinematography, I think the right way to recognize what's extraordinary about this movie is to give it the best sound award because 100%. that's what you will remember from this movie. And if you don't know and encounter a lot of deaf people in your life, you will have learned a lot about deaf people mm-hmm. um, and the whole deaf culture, which is really rich and interesting. And, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I think if you fuse our two opinions together, I think we hit on it. I totally forgot the last moment of the movie, and you're 100% correct. And I see what you're saying. I think I think the movie has those broad strokes, but still doesn't do what fills in like the shapes, and that still yeah. makes it that still makes it seem. I'm going to use the word pedestrian, so I don't have another word, but it seems very unimpressive it's it's a small little indie movie that i don't think necessarily deserved like seven academy award nominations essentially yeah it's a movie that like probably was never expecting the kind of shirt made that it's getting or the kind of profile that it has yeah so yeah within that context i don't mind that i can kind of see the the end point from the start of act two that's okay no. i'm okay with that in a movie like but you know, if it's 100%. gonna be best best picture, maybe not, but it's in my top three. Nice, very nice. Best original song is maybe, again, kind of like best visual effects, uh, an odd year, cause you have no Disney movies, you have no like real musicals. Uh, so you have Fight For You from Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice, Child of Chicago 7, Husevik from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Yeah. Which Ding I was gonna dong. Which I was gonna ask if anyone had seen, and Rich just answered. <laughs> so, <laughs> EOC scene from the life ahead and speak now from one night in Miami. Uh, the only one that I can recall <clears throat> is Speak Now, and I'm all about giving Leslie Odom Jr. an Academy Award. Uh, although I will say that Diane Warren is uh, slowly approaching Susan Lucci's record <laughs> of of uh, futility here uh i think this is her 12th nomination for best original song at the academy awards Uh, i'm gonna quickly read them uh mafia won this award well i i'm kind of seeing why because i i don't know what any of these songs are uh 1988 the song from the movie mannequin so i can officially say academy award nominated (laughs) movie mannequin (laughs) did she also do the academy award nominated song from junior as well uh, she did not. Uh, up close well, and personal. She wrote Con Air. How do I live? She ooh. also wrote I don't want to miss a thing from Armageddon. Oh, okay. Music of my, music of my heart from Music of My Heart. Yeah. Uh, there you'll be Pearl Harbor. Grateful from Beyond the Lights. Yeah. Till it happens to you from the Hunting Ground. That was that Lady mm. Gaga uh, documentary. Mm. Stand up for something from Marshall. She wrote that one with Common. I'll fight RBG. Uh, I'm standing with you from Breakthrough and now this this year. Okay, so, so she had some bangers in there, but early, you know, period. Yeah. It seems like her 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 strong stretch was like the the mid to late nineties. Oh, absolutely, Con Air and Armageddon back to back. That's just that's, bad luck. You didn't win either one of those. Yeah, that's I would love to know which songs did actually. I will pull it up right now while you explain to Tony and I about Eurovision. So Eurovision <laughs> yeah, 
rules, first of all. Uh, I am part of a small contingent up here of uh, uh, Florida folk that are in Chicago now that uh, every year we try to get together to watch Eurovision live. Um, and it is basically uh, uh, like American Idol, but for all of Europe and also Israel and Australia that like started like after World War II to just kind of like bring the Europe together and, and, you know, peace and unity over music. But it's like at this point, it's like where ABBA came from. It's Celine Dion did it as well. Mm-hmm. But it's also like completely blown out at this point. Like every song is just like so wildly produced. Like the costumes are insane and everything is just at 11. It's, it's a yeah, it's spectacle upon spectacle and it's like all sorts of different music as well like it's not just like a pop contest you have like rock bands and stuff like that um and like just and like rap acts as well like croatian rap acts which are always like what is happening here why are these why are these milkmaids milking each other uh it's it's ain't no one else gonna milk them (laughs) it is truly like one of my favorite things every year uh and obviously due to everything in the world there wasn't a eurovision contest last year but there was the will ferrell rachel mcadams eurovision movie uh which like was perfectly entertaining it was fine it was exactly what it needed to be for just a netflix movie that came out in may but they absolutely nailed the music they they got it on the nose and I mean, you know, it should, it should win. It, was, it should win, is what I'm saying. I know there's some very important, I'm sure there's some very important songs that are nominated, but I mean, it's it's it it did its job. And it's I mean, I'm rooting for the fake Icelandic one. Yes. Sure. Yeah, I'm totally fine with it also because one of the people that uh, wrote it is called Fat Max. And Hell yeah. I, I want to hear whoever's giving this award out bring Fat Max on stage. And I'm sure they're going to be dressed exactly like how you'd expect them to be dressed straight up it just started like a whole, the whole eurovision thing with us just started by like pulling up clips like after like a, a thanksgiving dinner or whatever and you could just go down rabbit holes of eurovision clips for days beautiful so 1997 diane thanks Warren's... for having me on the podcast i'll see you later <laughs> you're just waiting this whole time this is what i came here for Drop the mic <laughs> uh so one of the six movies you're talking about was eurovision <laughs> was... Yeah, yeah 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 uh 1997 uh how do i live from conair ran up against uh my heart will go on <laughs> from titanic well, okay it also ran up uh, against go the distance from hercules which is a damn. very underrated disney movie and then also uh, anastasia and goodwill hunting 1998 it's just a goddamn travesty so here are the nominees that did not win along with i don't want to miss a thing from armageddon that'll do from babe pig in the city by Randy Newman, which I don't know how is not a meme everywhere. Like you hired Randy Newman to do a Bay Pig in the City song. A Soft Place to Fall from The Horse Whisperer. The Prayer from Quest for Camelot. And then the winner, When You Believe from The Prince of Egypt. How the hell did I don't want to miss a thing lose? That is... Now, now I, I have hate that people, song. I hate I ha- that song. <laughs> sure, Aerosmith sucks. It is corny. I think is the answer to that. And they were corny even in 1998. Yes, we corny in the we Prince of there. Egypt. We were there. We were there. 
that was corny in the moment and you know it was it's true yeah i and i will say this i have people in my life that will fist fight you over how much they appreciate and want you to watch prince of egypt you need different friends <laughs> this is a cry for help <laughs> <laughs> I have never I take that back so I think it was Peacock like I was watching the WWE Network's a part of Peacock now I was watching a show and they have commercials and it was advertising like the kids portion of Peacock but they have dick all so one of the things they had to advertise like four movies was fucking Prince of Egypt I'm like that's what you're advertising for kids to watch is the Prince of Egypt on Peacock that's just fucking weird next on Kids Cock yeah uh, <laughs> hey uh, <laughs> better or worse than P kids <laughs> best score uh, maybe my, one of my favorite categories this year because I'm fine with any of the five of these winning uh, Defy Bloods, Mank, Minari News of the World and Soul all good, all very good uh, Minari is probably my least favorite the other four can't go wrong with I believe the sole nomination for Defy Bloods. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Am I wrong on that? It is. It is the criminally sole nominee yeah. for Defy Bloods. Tough stuff. I probably like Defy Bloods more than most. Tony and I had an early conversation about it where I think Tony also liked it, but we both agreed that we have no idea what the fuck happened in the last 40 minutes of that movie. <laughs> that movie is really compelling, but yeah, like. I think it is like a lot of the other movies this year where it, it, it works about three quarters of the way. Mm -hmm. uh, it holds together mostly <laughs> yeah. and it's by no means a perfect movie, no. but it's good and it's worth watching. Yeah. That yeah. movie, that movie is just like, is the epitome of this person was given full creative freedom and nobody was in the rain him in. <laughs> When it was needed most. I you mean, rate... it seems like we keep saying that about Netflix films. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's in Spike yeah. is somebody that needs a little reining in. And he just goes. Spike, oh. Fincher, and Sorkin all yes. all really needed a, like a second person next to them to go like, yo, just, um, there's the problem here. Just yeah. one solid notes section. You session. can even go yeah. further. It's been a, you can say that with Scorsese. Like you yep. chop 45 minutes off of the Irishman and that's might be just as good as Goodfellas. You know what I mean? But it's three and a half hours. Four hours together to watch the Irishman. Sure. I took five and a half to do it over the course of two uh, sessions of Christmas present wrapping. I watched <laughs> it in three. I don't know what y'all's problem was. <laughs> you watched it on like one and a quarter speed or something? Or no, I had the uh, I had the special Italian American cut. <laughs> They just do the whole thing sorry, with their hands. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, Soul is going to win this. You make this. This gesture and it skips forward 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. This, this in that scene where De Niro like kicks that guy's head in is a much different scene. No one's shitting on that. Oh, God. Thank you for reminding me of that scene. That, uh, oh, God, the fucking scene. Uh, Soul is going to win this. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are, are, the best at what they do nowadays. Uh, I can't wait for them to just randomly get tapped to do a musical and get the EGOT that they deserve because, of course, obviously they have Grammys and now they have Emmys for Watchmen. So they will one day round it out, but they already have... Uh, do they have two? I know they have at least one because they did Social Network, but this might be their third Academy Award. 
Um, who do you do? The guy that's once saying, I want to fuck you like an animal is going to be a multi-time Academy Award nominee. Dude, three six mafia have an Academy Award. Like again, like that was the that was the first Oscars we watched together, right? When I think it was, yeah, because that was yeah, that was two thousand and it was yeah, that was the Oscars in in two thousand six for the year two thousand five. Two thousand five movie year, yeah. I dipped out on Generation One rehearsal uh, because we had a five dollar bet going on which one would win, Crash or Brokeback Mountain, and guess who won? This guy, and I hate myself for it every day. Oh, so you're the one who made it happen. Yeah, I I slipped Nicholson that $5 that I knew I was going to get back from Tony to say the wrong name. Oh, my God. Uh, So live action and animated shorts and documentary feature and short subject, we can obviously skip unless somebody has seen any of the documentary features. Uh, I I have not. I I have not, but I am super excited to see a couple of them. Um, I've heard... I've heard great things about Crip Camp and I've heard great things about there's My one other one. I... Octopus Teacher? Oh. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the one that I've heard the most about. Okay, so I I really want to see Collective. That's, that's the, the third one. one. Yep. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch and I think it's on Hulu. Um Crip Camp I got a good review on from a uh, friend of the show Randy Humphrey. And I have seen my octopus teacher and it is you, you have to like rich brush your teeth before and after, because it has, you are, it it, is so saccharine at times. And like, it really lays on the emotion about this dude's relationship with this octopus. But like, like if you're up for that, like if you're just feeling like some deep empathy for an animal, I'm Get glad uh, for for the amount of fucking horse movies I've had to watch in the last goddamn year of my life. Um, yeah, I'm, I I've way, got room for better. animal empathy. I've got room for it. I love that. Tony, so I love that you only threatened. Right. I love that you only told Rich to brush your teeth beforehand because you knew, <laughs> like, not for the love of animals, but you knew the set the phrase the love this guy has for this octopus was going to be like this is directly for mullet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to convince you. Yeah, exactly. I'm in. Uh, it was fun. It was fun. This is like the second or third year in a row where the overwhelming favorite in this category didn't get nominated which was dick johnson is dead which i need to still see uh after won't you be my neighbor did it a couple years ago and i forget what the one last year was um i think the documentary people are just so cool they're like man everyone like this movie fuck them (laughs) we're just not gonna nominate it uh but i definitely yeah those three i have no idea what the mole agent is or time but uh one day we'll we'll check your documentary actually made money well you don't need an academy award yeah so time is a documentary about a family who um, the the father is in prison and the mother is an ex-convict. And yeah. it's about like the experience of the whole family while the father is doing time. Nice. And apparently it's very good. I've heard lots of good things about it. I have not caught it yet, but Same. I intend to when it becomes available to me. Beautiful. Hopefully we'll we'll maybe reconvene at some point on those uh, at another day. Uh, kind of the same thing with animated feature and international feature for animated. Obviously, Soul. Um, I did see Onward. Onward at present, uh, as of press date, is the last movie I have seen in a movie theater. I hope to rectify that. 
Um, not that Onward was bad or anything. It's, as I've mentioned to Rich before, the line for a good Pixar movie to me is, did you make me fucking cry? It didn't make me cry. You go to the bottom half of my list. <laughs> That's yeah. immediately what happens with Onward. Onward uh, uh, feels like it was very uh, specifically targeted to who it was going to make cry. Yes. Um, and yeah, like same. It was it was a it was a perfectly enjoyable watch. I watched it on Disney Plus. Um, but yeah, like it came the out. Line is the line yeah. is high. It came out two months after my father passed away. It's about your father passing away. It didn't make me cry. Well, that's, yeah, there you go. That's you, you were the target. Whoa. I was a target audience. It didn't do the job. Yeah. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. That said, I still liked it. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's, it's not as good of a movie as Soul. And that said, like, so I have Soul on my overall list as number six. Really, really like Soul. Soul also didn't make me cry, I will say. It got closer than Onward because Soul had more of a, what's the phrase? A more of like an existential, like, just look at life and what your like purposes and being happy about it had ultimately at the end of it. And it really kind of hit me at the time that I kind of saw it. Um, but it definitely wasn't. It also had the best joke in the animated movie that's ever happened. Bar none, 100%. Uh, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about, especially if you're a basketball fan. And the cheap joke shot. that it, well, you call it a cheap was it, shot. <laughs> was it a cheap shot or did it break their hex? I was going to say, yeah, they're going to, they're, they're gonna finish one was, was the the Pixar animated film Soul what finally is what finally lit a fire under the New York Knicks. When did they sign Tibbs? Was <laughs> yeah. no, the season already started. That's ridiculous. Uh I uh I that movie did make me cry, mm-hmm. uh, but under very specific circumstances, as as I was watching it, uh, is when I learned that uh AEW wrestler uh uh Oh, fuck. Had passed. Oh, it's like the worst um, timing of anything. Yeah. Like one of those guys where like he passed and, and all that happened for the next three weeks were just like the best stories about this guy. Yeah. Um, and like all he wanted to do was wrestle. And uh, well, that and also just like more than wrestle. He wanted to be a good family man. He wanted yeah. to be a great husband and dad and shit like that. One of the legit great ones. And yeah, yeah. We, we fucking yeah. lost him at 40. And so like in the thing. smack dab middle of that movie, I, I found that out. And Ugh. that was like, oh, that, that it got me. It That's got rough. me. Uh, I've heard great things about Wolf Walkers. Um, should probably see it. And uh, I feel like we have a Sean the Sheep movie every year. And it's Ardman. <laughs> I mean, Tony and I can attest that uh, at one point in one of those college, you know, Oscar season things, one movie, I believe, like, didn't work. So we had to, like, go over and see Wallace and Gromit instead. And we both loved it. It was it was pure. It was yeah, pure that, that's why we saw Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> we did not go to the theater and said one for Wallace and Gromit each. I know that didn't Are happen. Are you sure? I don't think we did. I might be misremembering this now that I think about I- it. Pretty sure we saw Wallace and Gromit on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that you enjoyed it just as much as I did. I might have to go look back at some of my old poop reports to see because I still have. I found when I was going through the garage several years ago, like the notebooks of like me keeping track of the movies I saw and with who. So I might be able to find that answer out. I'll, I'll get back to you on it. How do you, um, how do you feel you about? Can... Sorry, Tony. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no, I was just gonna say if you could dip into the archives there with uh, gloves on, probably. <laughs> 
Rich, what was going to be your sarcastic uh, question? Yeah, Mullet, uh, how do you feel about uh, your daughter growing up uh, and she's going to be thinking that notebooks are called poop reports? Fine with it. It's uh, it's going to be Keaton's uh, undying legacy. You don't you don't feel bad that she's going to have the one day at school where someone's going to ask if they could borrow her notebook and she's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll prepare that. I'll prepare yeah. the student or teacher she needs conference to, now. She needs to borrow someone's poop report. <laughs> Fine. Fine. I'll change my entire parenting style, Rich. Don't. Thanks. Don't. I just, I think it's fun. Best international feature film. This is Tony's Wheelhouse, although I don't think he's seen any of these except one, but I am excited to, to hear him talk about the one that I think he has seen and the prevalent favorite in this category, Another Round. Uh, which is my third favorite movie of the year. Uh, and I'm not an international film guy at all and went in with absolutely negative expectations of it and wound up thoroughly being blown away by it. Uh, did you feel the same, Tony? Yeah, I, uh, I just watched another round actually earlier today. So I had not put it on my list yet and I needed to put it on. So uh, I'm frantically rewriting some numbers here another update yeah uh, it just checked all my fucking boxes uh what's it about uh so another round well tony you explain because it's fresher fresher in your mind yeah so uh the the loose plot description of the movie is um four teachers at a high school um are all in various ways um disenchanted with their lives and their jobs and they're not performing as as, as well as they had in various aspects of their lives. Um, one of the teachers is the psychology teacher and has read about a study that posits that man is born with a blood alcohol level that is 0.05 too low. And that in, in order to achieve optimum personal and social performance, that one should supplement one's blood alcohol content <laughs> to see about this. So they undertake an experiment <laughs> or a series of experiments, let's say, uh, whereby they raise their blood alcohol content and uh, the movie uh, falls from there. And okay. uh, I'll say that it is initially successful and then later not so successful. And uh, we followed their journey from there. Okay. Um, yeah. And a... it is really, really great. I highly recommend that people check it out. It's on Hulu. Yes. Um, so definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, it was glorious. It, I, I look forward to us having this conversation in three to five years and doing the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it features one of somebody who I've had like seen in movies, of course, like big budget shit. Cause he's just thrown in as like the, the evil foreign villain, but Mads Mikkelsen crushes this movie so fucking hard. Super good. Yeah. Super good. Um, and don't spoil the end, but he is good to the last drop of this movie. Oh. So. Uh, do do stay for the full glass, as it were, of yes. another round because uh, it is so good from that first opening, which is really special on its own, which is totally kind of like like different and a bit divorced from the rest of the movie as its own set piece, but is really fun. Yeah, <laughs> all the way through to the last scene are are, are just great. It's a really uh, good movie, and I uh, won't spoil by saying. Uh, what else I have that film being recognized for, but uh, I, I I think it should definitely win this, um, but I am really excited to see um, at least three other movies that are nominated here. Uh, the next movie on my list to see 
is uh, Quo Vadis Aida, mm-hmm. which is um, about uh, the uh, Bosnian War and the events that led up to the massacre in Srebrenica. And uh, Collective, of course, which is about a uh, scandal in uh, Romania involving counterfeit drugs and the journalists that uh, uncovered that scandal. A lot of people died. And The Man Who Sold His Skin, which is a really interesting sounding Tunisian film about um, a man who uh, literally can't get uh, anywhere in the world until he allows his body to be tattooed. And then he is displayed as a work of art. (laughs) Very interesting that uh, an odd documentary being recognized outside of its category and that collective is both in documentary feature and international feature so i, I just noticed that i was like there's two collective movies <laughs> it's me being the dickhead american that i am but it must be pretty great and i'm yeah. really looking forward to watching it i think that one is also on hulu is it not hulu yeah hulu's been crushing it in terms of like having stuff available it's been i was just about to say wonderful like, they've been on point it feels like hulu has been doing a very good job at like acquiring things i don't think they're really producing any of these things like no they are distributing the shit out of some Mm -hmm. movies i mean they had they had parasite like like three weeks after one best picture like they just been snapping shit up and they're gonna have i mean probably the best picture winner already on their platform since who knows how long ago so they've they've been on point yeah Uh, all right the big boys the big eight We'll start adapted screenplay, Borat, subsequent movie film, which I believe has about 12 writers, uh, The Father, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The White Tiger. Sadly, The White Tiger is the one movie of The Big Eight I did not get a chance to watch. I, it was a late uh, late edition that I was like, ah, I was going top six, try to go top eight, and just didn't get a chance. It's on Netflix. I'll get there at some point. What is The White Tiger for uh, those that aren't familiar with it? Sure. It is, I believe it's also a foreign language film, um, which is not uh, no it is not. I apologize. Uh, It is uh, a rich Indian family's ambitious driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty and rise to the top as an entrepreneur. So it is, uh, I believe it is uh, an Australian Indian movie but it is in oh. it is in English. I, th- I thought it was in a foreign language as well. So um, so that's not going to be my pick uh, just because I haven't seen it. So my pick here for Adapted is going to be One Night in Miami. Again, trying to recognize things where I think they're appropriate. There were three movies that were directly staged to screen. Uh, the Father... Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami. The Father is my favorite movie of the three, but is definitely the least like an actual theatrical play. Ma Rainey is a is very much stage and produced to me to a fault in that it's a play. Yeah, it's a play and it it takes me out of the movie as I'm watching it. Whereas One Night in Miami explored more space and I felt had a little bit more creative liberties. Plus Kent Powers had a one hell of a year in terms of, you know, this and soul and still being like a burgeoning playwright. I'm all about rewarding people for like their overall body of work. So that would be my, my personal choice here. Rich, how about you? Well, one night Miami, I did also see is the only nominee here that I've seen. Um, 
And uh, also, it's the only one of the uh, movies that Mullet mentioned were adapted from uh, plays. Um, so, but also that said, like, it still felt very much like a play to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it, the, the exploring of the space, uh, like, whenever they move, like, to the roof or back to the room, like, did kind of feel just like a quick little like let's change the flats out yeah. type of deal or like they we gotta get out of the room. Yeah, exactly. It was it definitely had play like written all over it, which sure. like I'm fine. Also, as far as like a directing debut as well, like start with that and like crush that and then move on to the next thing. It's a great way to start, um, I think. Uh, but also needed more Miami. Yeah, there was nothing evocatively Miami about it, which wow. was a little weird for a movie called One Night in Miami. Yeah. It's like, why are they not like like pissing on the beach? Like, well, why, yeah, are that's they yeah. the, why are they the not movie... chain smoking Lucky Strikes on Hollywood Beach? What's happening here? The movie Two Night in Miami is is NC seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, that's all, that's but that's the only one I saw. So you know, gotcha. Uh, Tony, I think. Well, I I have not seen The Father or The White Tiger, but of the three that I have seen, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and Borat subsequent movie film. Oh I yes, shit! I would, I've seen Borat too. Sorry. I think I would also go for One Night in Miami. Um, I think the script is one of the stronger elements of the movie, uh, and yes. it tells a, a great story. It's well told. Um, it, there's not much more to say about it that you guys haven't said. So, I believe it has my yeah, it has my favorite line I think in a movie of the whole year, which is uh, Leslie Odom Jr.'s uh, Sam Cooke saying, "I don't want a piece of the pie. I want the goddamn recipe." Is just a beautiful yeah. line, just for that on of its own. That that's good writing. So I'll take it. The, um, yeah, it's a really good line. Also, just as far as like being a screenplay, so like Borat started, and it quite clearly couldn't have had the ending that it had when it started yeah it's like it's like nominating a christopher guest movie for this yeah award. you know what i mean like but like quite literally when you say this movie is uh uh nominated for best adapted screenplay it should be nominated for like best improv well best screenplay that's been adapted <laughs> like they had to adapt yeah it's been made up as it's occurring <laughs> Maybe that's they what it means. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck. Like in that there's, case, then yeah, it should win it for the next five years. My bad. There's Most quotes. Adaptable a, there's quotes around adapted, so they did alter it. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah, good. The, yeah. They they changed it. Uh, best original screenplay. We got Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago Seven. I'll go ahead and get the snub out of the way here. Uh, I think this was. Uh, one of two places where it really would be nice to see Palm Springs recognized for, you know, being the best comedy of the year and comedy is not getting recognized for fucking anything. anything. Uh, could definitely go for this as opposed to trial of the Chicago seven here. That's probably blasphemy yeah. to say that Aaron Sorkin gets removed over, yeah. you know, Andy Sandberg, but you know, it is what it is. Not that Sandberg wrote it. Uh, all right. I think we're probably to the point in the podcast where Quinn and I started having massive arguments. <laughs> Yeah, this is where like all of the best movies are are now involved. So yeah, we can um, be- before them. you all start scrapping it up, mm-hmm. can I just like also say that I'm like really bad at 
identifying snubs like when nominations are announced like i'll always i'm the guy that just like looks at the nominations and goes like huh okay and then i go on twitter i'm just like oh yeah that's right this was a good movie that isn't what the fuck man i will tell you the thing that for me has helped was doing the fantasy movie league that we've done Mm. before and i've done over the past several years Mm -hmm. is like the fall season is my thing like i've i think i've done that like seven or eight times and i've won it like half those times you know what i mean so i'm very much like doing the research following IndieWire. Mm-hmm. I told Sam this year I found like the trashiest YouTube channel of all time. It's called the Oscar expert. It's these two twin guys. They're probably like in their early twenties. They live in California and they're obsessed Randy with and Jason Sklar. <laughs> <laughs> no, J- they're so much more mass. Uh, Randy and Jason Sklar are so much more masculine than these guys. Uh, and they, all they do is like they do gold derby and like, that's their year is like getting everything right on gold derby. And they, live stream themselves reacting to the nominees and the winners and they freak the fuck out they call each other bitches it is the trashiest thing i cannot stop watching <laughs> uh so like like them reacting to jared leto getting nominated for a golden globe was like my highlight of january and my fucking birthday is there uh <laughs> you have to watch that movie oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> so like so that's how i am definitely more in tune with it okay. nowadays uh so my pick here is Promising Young Woman, uh, which is my personal pick for my favorite movie of the year. Um, that's not called Hamilton because that doesn't count. Uh, <laughs> I did write down just to make a point. Uh, I know it's very controversial. I know that there are a lot of differing opinions on it, and I'll probably get into a little bit more. But in terms of a screenplay and what its mission and what it accomplished was, that's, that's my pick. Right. So I think this is where I would. So I think most of my problems with the movie were, were with the screenplay is, yeah. is with kind of the structure and the overall like, like tone and message of the movie and like that. Um, so for me, I think this is the award that would recognize the wrong thing about it. Cause there are other extraordinary things about the movie. Okay. Uh, but what, like, I mean, this is a hard one without spoiling the movie for people that haven't seen it. Sure. Um, but, I mean, I guess, can you say more about what you think the screenplay achieves versus, like, like what Carrie Mulligan brings to it or what, you know, I, I think, think she's the only really extraordinary performance in the movie. But um, I, I disagree with that. I think... I... I actually, it started out sarcastically, but I actually was going to mention Bo Burnham as a possible. You wanted Bo Burnham for like supporting actor, didn't you? I have a list of twelve people that did not get nominated for best supporting actor, and he's one of them. Um, I mean, if they're going to give Sasha Baron Cohen, why not give it to Bo Burnham? Exactly my point, point. Uh, and the fact that Jared Leto almost got here. Uh, I think it's a great ensemble cast um, that does a really, really good job. Particularly if there was a best casting award i think this movie deserves it just for what it would appear to be stunt casting on the surface of these hallmark goody two shoe two shoes white boy actors like christopher mince plus and adam brody and uh i'm forgetting a third bo burnham to a certain matter being these you know exterior quote unquote nice guys and these interior slime balls and that being very purposeful of a decision into 
just what the world is out there for women to navigate and deal with, I, I think was a very, very smart choice and they all individually crushed it. I, I think the overall message and, and point of it all is it's very much a, a statement movie about raising awareness, but what happens and the twist of it all is very much saying that that's all we can do at this point and what what little revenge we get it's not enough which i think is very much a theme of you know a lot of the the black empowerment movies that we have this year as well is here is here are these of course underappreciated and unspoken film causes but there's a but at the end of all of these movies right like at the end of Juice and the Black Messiah, we know what happens. At the end of One Night in Miami, we know what happens. Billy Holiday, we know what happens. Promising Woman does exactly the same thing in much more, and not as much more, in as equally of a gut-punching way. Um, and th- for whatever reason, that resonated with me. I think also, because it was my most anticipated movie, I carry those expectations in when I, when I saw it. Um, it was the first movie, like I talked about earlier, that I did like pay for. Sam and I had like kind of a tradition every year on my birthday. We would go see like that Oscar movie that I haven't seen yet. That's what we did with Whiplash and other ones. So that's what we did like on my birthday. And I, I, I think that's also a part of it. But at the same time, just the balls, but also the uniqueness that it had just stuck with me. I... I... I guess I can't really disagree with a lot of that. I mean, I think there were, uh, man, this is hard without, without spoiling. I know it's, uh, it's, it's the hardest fucking thing. <laughs> it's so yeah. difficult. Um, the fact that the last 10 minutes of the movie exists mm-hmm. is, is really weird. Yep. And the context of the last 10 minutes of the movie is really weird. And then there, frankly, the 15 minutes of the movie that comes before that is also really weird and i wouldn't say like a tonal shift necessarily no i'd say it's like an appropriate kind of uh, escalation of events given you know i feel like it's appropriately set up kind yeah. of like you know the movies they knew more but then there's like so much after that and yeah i remembered i remember the fucking pasty white boy that i've been mentioning uh he's from the new girl rich you fucking love him what's the fucking guy's name white boy Dick johnson no, the other one. Max Greenfield? Yeah, Max Greenfield. That's him. All right. Yeah, that fucking guy. Uh, like, he's maybe even more so than the other ones in terms of, like, who he is in that movie and what I know about him and other things. Also the same, uh, the guy that Are plays fucking... Are talking about Gianni Versace? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, also, the other one is, and, like, the principal one of the ones I said is the guy that plays Bash and Glow. I never remember the actor's name. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. but he's a great actor, and he's great in this yeah. movie by being a fucking like a utter fucking garbage piece of shit cock monster. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I had to recognize those two and not just mention the fucking 11. Uh, so you are on the opposite end of the spectrum uh, of me about your, yours, Tony. Well, so one more thing, I guess, about the casting and, I also thought that it was that it was clever to give us like, you know, Adam Brody, Christopher Vince Boss, and those guys. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was it was heavy-handed in that 
it gave us Christopher Mintz plots. And then it gave us Christopher Mintz plots doing coke. And then it gave us Christopher Mintz plots talking about David Foster Wallace while doing coke. Well, the girl's clearly not into it. And I'm like, we all know this guy. Like, you're being so heavy handed. It was like, I, you like didn't have to say more than consider the lobster for me to understand this guy's a total piece of shit. But then you get like another 10 minutes of him just like acting out being a piece of shit. And I was like, I don't know. I thought it was a little heavy handed. I, I think I think it might have been heavy handed. I think maybe it was more so long in the tooth than heavy handed. And I think it was purposely long in the tooth because I'm just guessing Emerald Fennel probably has had experiences like that or knows people that have had that experience, maybe to an, ex- an extra degree and putting it. Oh, I think probably every woman who has dated in, you know, the last 20 years has, yeah. has had some asshole guy talk to her, you know, just about David Foster Wallace's shit. And like, she has <laughs> no interest at all or, you know, some other shit that I like, like neutral milk hotel, God help us. You know, like, I really want to right here be like, yeah, we all know him. He's, and then I say a name and I bleep it out. <laughs> <laughs> just the fuck with the people that listen to this. Like, oh, who was it? I have a guess. You, you can know? just say my name. I mean, <laughs> the guys in this movie are me, just like a little more dirtbaggy. <laughs> I think, like, like, look, look, now, now, now that is, that is one of, I think, the more, effective statements about the movie is how many guys throughout the movie protest that 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 they are good guys and they haven't done anything wrong Mm -hmm. and i think that in that in that way that it does make you as a guy question your own complicity not in situations anywhere near the gravity of what's dealt with in the movie promising young woman but it does kind of make you question a lot of decisions that you've made in your own past. And uh, thank God that we did live part of our lives without social media. And, you know, like, not that I've done anything like that. You guys were there for all that shit. (laughs) But but it does make you question your own attitude. Then like, what would I have done in that situation? Mm -hmm. And like, would I have been strong enough to come forward? So it does ask some good questions. I think it doesn't give a lot of good answers and I think it's a really messy movie, but I think that it does make the audience ask a lot of good questions about like, like what is your role in, in like the patriarchy in abuse of women in not believing sexual assault victims and survivors. Like, you know, it was a big look inward movie and it was something that I could identify with more than I think I was like, prepared for um again to the same points you made like not that that was something you know but like the fact that i even have to say that you know explains and justifies it you know in that that's something that we need to be cognizant of and we haven't been cognizant of and if even a movie that doesn't have a lot of answers expresses it i'm for it because i think the movie still doesn't have the answers um so that's that's ultimately where it, it, it kind of wound up uh, for me, and uh, I'll I'll briefly be discussing it for one other category later on, but um, but besides that, I think this is probably its most surefire win. Although this is a pretty loaded category because it's hard to beat Sorkin in anything, unfortunately. But I know you, you're hoping that one thing's going to. I I hope that 
comes last. I have so my 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 order. I had Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago Seven. And I think now I would probably have those. I would probably have Sound of Metal above Minari, and I'd probably have Promising Young Woman above Minari too. The screenplay is not as strong. It's not Minari. Minari was good. It's a rather conventional story told a different way, but the strokes of the story are very much kind of what you expect. So the screenplay is not is not the best part of that. On this week's episode of Married Movies, uh, we we briefly discuss it because we had just watched it, and I think I was like, Minari is good, and I started to say something else. I was like, I I really don't have any other review. (laughs) Like Minari is good, and it's that's about it, and. You know, there, I worked with my wife that. after it was over. I think we just kind of like, yeah, we turned to each other. We're like, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, good for everyone involved. And- as long as, as long as, like that. Sorry to bother you. Contingent of Lakeith Stanfield and Stephen Young are making movies that are like getting lauded and getting nominations. Mm-hmm. I think we're doing good things here. Your turn, Army Army Hammer. You're next, man. We got those top two. You're up next. <laughs> we got to stop talking about Army Hammer. <laughs> It's just building up for us to having a deep dive, uh, a Patreon exclusive where we just read text back and forth. God. <laughs> uh, I am all for, that said, I'm all for the fucking Lucas Twins getting a fucking Oscar. Way to steal my bit that I was going to fucking end this whole category up on. <laughs> Sorry. Can we get, it's the second stand-up Twins act that we've referenced in this one category alone. <laughs> is there a third? <laughs> To round it out, I don't think yeah. there is. Oh yeah. Uh, oh no. Okay, no, the scholars. Well, I guess my Oscar expert guys. Yeah, are. there you go. They, they have funny editing. Like they'll zoom in on their cat. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's good stuff. Um, I I would say for me personally, the only one thing is that for if we're gonna award Judas and the Black Messiah, it would not be for screenplay. It would be for what I have next, which is best supporting actor. Which yeah, is, I think the acting is yeah, the acting is the most extraordinary thing about it. I yeah, one hundred percent. And this is, I think, could have gone all down all time as like one of the fucking best categories for best supporting actor, just between the people that did not get nominated. So my my snubs here, the other three guys in One Night in Miami, particularly Kingsley Benadier as Malcolm X, was great. And that, that's yeah. not the discount. Uh, uh, the Aldous Hodge, who I believe was Jim Brown. Uh, when the guy that was Muhammad Ali was the fourth one on that list and he was so solid that that's a good thing. Uh, I already jokingly mentioned Bo Burnham, but I would still mention Bo Burnham. Um, everyone, not Delroy Lindo in Defy Bloods, but particularly Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Boseman is like the epitome of a best supporting actor nominee in that movie. Uh, just such amazing quiet strength. Rich already mentioned Mank earlier between Charles Dance and then my personal favorite was Arliss Howard, who played like the head studio executive. Just what a great Hollywood fucking worm. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. that that whole that spiel that Louis he Mayer, gives. Yeah. Yeah. This the yeah. speech the mayor yeah, gives getting like Shirley Temple to stand up and be like, we'll do it, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> it's like that actually might have been my favorite scene in the movie. Um I love that for like four weeks, people thought Bill Murray from On the Rocks was going to get nominated, which true story. When I made my list of movies that I'd watched this year, I added On the Rocks to it 20 minutes before we started. I totally forgot that I had seen it. That's how little of a forgettable movie. It is maybe the most forgettable movie 
of all fucking time. And then everybody in the trial of Chicago seven, that's not Sasha Baron Cohen that deserve this nomination. I'm looking at Mark Rylance, number one, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, number two, uh, Frank Langella, number three, uh, literally Dolores Umbridge level of anger and uh, Jeremy Strong, number four. Jeremy Strong is incredibly underrated uh, in everything he does, but that's just the succession uh, uh, pool in me coming out. That that movie included a performance from Eddie Redmayne that didn't make me want to punch him in the face. That's the exact opposite feeling that I had. <laughs> I it was the only thing I've ever seen him in that I actually didn't hate him in. That was the only scene in the movie where I was rooting for the rioters, like the like the non-rioters. Where I'm like, yeah, the police can rough him up, like it's fine. Yeah. You can punch Tom Hayden. He's kind of a dick here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. To, to be fair, I didn't really care about Tom Hayden, but Eddie Redmayne in particular is just like I'm not actively hating this performance and i found myself surprised by that i realize i'm probably in the minority what are you gonna do so i think he was the i think he was a good part of of a generally not good lot there of of really good actors but just mm-hmm. like they were given just uh, i thought a very bad script to work with john carroll lynch as well i was just about to say john carroll lynch who just one day i want somebody to just like go all in on him and be like here's a lead part. Just go get your Oscar, man. Give him like the uh, Richard Jenkins visitor role and let him get, let him get his flowers. He's gonna, he's gonna. Yeah. Uh, so I would take all those people above Sasha Baron Cohen that I just said, uh, <laughs> who is, is just so distracting in this movie. He's playing like, isn't he supposed to be like, like 26 or something? Uh, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah. younger than he actually is. Yeah. Yes. Um, I He's the leader it. of the Yippie Party, the Youth International Party, which means that he would not be like 48-year-old Sasha Baron Cohen, right? Yeah. Uh, I love the Keith Stanfield. I'm so happy that he can forever say he's an Academy Award-nominated actor. Uh, the fact that he is here is egregious <laughs> uh, in terms of like the category that he is yeah. in. Well, so, and that's something that, that also yeah. uh, got a lot of play when uh, the nominees were announced that uh, Lakeith Sanfield and Daniel Kaluuya were both nominated in the same category for the same movie. One when one is clearly the lead of the movie, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, and like everyone's just like, I can't believe the Academy did this. When it's like, it's frustrating because it's the studio that submits them for the categories, yeah. but that's still an also very questionable decision. It feels like uh, I don't know the full story behind that. Neither but- do I, and especially I because. Do. Especially because you're you're one second. You're especially because you're you're potentially hurting your front runner, right? Potentially splitting the vote. Yeah, uh, Tony. What what is the reason? The movie came out after Chad Bozeman died, and everyone knew Chad Bozeman was going to win the award. Ah, uh, yeah. That's so true. when when they put it out, they're like, "Well, we're not going to just run right into this buzz off Chad Bozeman winning lead actor. So we'll put them both in supporting. They'll both get nominated. Maybe one of them wins." Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I may have a, a a shocking best actor take here coming up uh, in just a few moments. Uh, Kaluuya is Gary Oldman win. No, I do not. Uh, <laughs> Kaluuya is the favorite. Kaluuya should win. He's number one on my list. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of you know essentially impressions winning awards. You know what I mean? Like we we've 
how many times have biopics and things like that, you know, happened? You could put recordings of of Daniel Kaluuya doing. Um, I'm fucking forgetting the fucking character name Fred, now. Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton. Jeez, I knew Fred. I can't get the last name. And like, you would not know it was not Fred Hampton. Like he was pristine in that. And then you just have Kaluuya, who I'm so thankful is getting the recognition that he deserves because, you know, just between Get Out and then him being the only salvageable part of Widows uh, several years ago, like he should just be in all the things. I, I, there's, there's not much more that needs to be said. Um, at the opposite end of the uh, accent awards, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Kaluuya's um, outskirts of Chicago, uh, specifically Maywood, Illinois, where Fred Hampton is from, that accent is so fucking good. Like, Rich, you've lived in Chicago for what, six, seven years, something like that? Six, seven, seven, actually. Yeah, seven, seven years. Yeah, I've been here almost 12 years. Neither of us could come anywhere close to doing anything like the Chicago accent that he pulls off for the entire length of the movie flawlessly. And he's English. <laughs> yeah. It always shocks the fuck out of me. Always. It'll never he's English. I'm like, you fuck, man. They are they are turning their actors over there. Hell yeah. Man. Uh, uh, the, the one last note that I'll have on, on this category mm-hmm. is um, just like with as, as, uh, as much glee as it brings me to see Lakeith Stanfield, like an Academy Award na- nominated actor and hopefully mm-hmm. just the first of many. Uh, also, at the same time, like as far as the Atlanta connection goes, like seeing Brian Tyree Henry and Kong versus Godzilla. Godzilla. I was thinking the same thing earlier. As a podcaster, is <laughs> just like. Man, man, don't get me wrong. I loved that movie. Um, because I'm that I'm that trash. Uh, but it's just like it's you know, it's tough stuff to see. Because <laughs> he's all, maybe the most talented of that whole cast. You know, I, I, I said this a long time ago, not to make another ringer comparison, but I thought you were always our Amanda Dobbins. No, you're Chris Ryan. <laughs> me? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. I always said I was Chris Ryan because I would always have like really, really bad takes. <laughs> No, you were Simmons. Yeah, you were Simmons. Oh, I'm Simmons. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. And, and Tony's fantasy. Okay, you're right. Yeah. I was I was Chris thinking Chris I was thinking the big picture trio, big picture. not the watchable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Tony's just fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> and we're good for him. Mostly. Um, Except I don't like the Marvel coming first movie. I'll take care of that. Little differences. Uh Odom's great. I want to give a shout out to Paul Racy, man. Like he was number two on my list. Number yeah, we, two on my list, Paul Racy. He is above Lakeith Stanfield for me on the list. Racy has so many understated, wonderful moments in like the brief amount of time that he has on screen, and I really hope that he gets to do more understated work like that, and just doesn't get signed up to be like the next Uncle Ben in the new Spider-Man movie or something, like because he's he's fucking really good. He steals every yeah. scene he's in with Reza Med. Um, sorry, one more uh, thing to talk about. I think this is maybe the place to talk about it uh, because um, all of these actors are supporting actors. But um, I want to talk about the use of called non-traditional actors in the movies Nomadland and Sound of Metal. Yes. Where they use you know actual um, uh, nomadic people in Nomadland, and here um, 
people who are like like not often seen uh, deaf actors um, and you know folks who are uh, sign language teachers and um, stuff like that in sentimental and uh, just like a really uh, unorthodox use of cats and a guy like Paul Racy who's never even who's never sniffed anything like an Academy Award before is kind of like a local theater actor in mm-hmm. Chicago and was raised with uh, uh, deaf parents and has been signing since he's a kid you know just to like have a shot to do something like that and, I mean like you said just just absolutely blew it out like every scene he's in he's just like just understated devastation in his face at at, at all times but just i mean you know, the character is is just so full of, of hope and love despite everything it's a it's a great 100 you touch on it briefly and we'll get back to it but that use of those those people and those characters in Nomadland is part of the reason why I think Chloe Zhao deserves some some credit for her directorship in Nomadland. But we'll, we'll, we'll cycle back there. Um, supporting actress. So we got uh, Maria Bakalova, Borat, Young Ju Zhao, which I'm sure I just butchered, Minari, uh, Olivia Coleman, the father. Amanda Seyfried Mank and Glenn Close Hillbilly Elegy. Um, my, I would have personally, this is everything about this race has been confusing as hell. Uh, there's no clear favorite. Um, I personally would have loved to seen Dominique Fish back here for Judas and the Black Messiah. Me too. I thought she was wonderful and did not get enough attention. I was happy she started getting a little bit of buzz and then it fortunately didn't work. And then my favorite part of the first time we're mentioning pieces of a woman tonight, because I'm the only person that saw that movie. And I saw it in the weirdest circumstances whatsoever. Uh, babysitting for the reals late night during a, 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 a thankfully false alarm emergency at 1130 at night. Um, Ellen Burson, who always is good, uh, was the best part of that movie and should have gotten the nomination above Vanessa Kirby. That said, we're left with these five nominees. Uh, Tony, I believe you and I are in agreement here about who should win. Maria Bakalova. So good. It takes a true miracle to be an unknown international rookie and steal a movie away from one of the like the most famous comic actors of the past 25 years, right? (laughs) Like that's a once in a lifetime achievement. Like, like at his thing this would be like somebody showing up and doing like a beverly hills cop movie with eddie murphy and like being better at like being a funny outrageous cop than eddie murphy yeah you're like wait what like that's what happened here it's this movie's success is her and her alone because when this movie got like announced we're like another borat movie yeah, it's like, how the hell are they going to make this work? Yeah. She totally makes it work. She makes it work so fucking well and elevates it to a multi-time yeah. Academy Award nominated fucking movie. Uh, especially all, <laughs> uh, considering the fact that like if you, if you think about like the, like, the, the, the conception of this movie, like it very clearly lays out the fact that his daughter is going to have to be basically a a function of the movie because Borat is too recognizable now. 
to get away with the same shit they did in the first movie. Yeah. Um, and and it would have been pretty much expected if it was just like, well, we understand why they had to do that. Mm-hmm. And she was fine. Who could who could do that? Yeah. But the fact that, yeah, like that they just hit an absolute grand slam for what was essentially a fun like a, a function that needed to be served. And it's like, oh no, it it elevated this into uh uh like a piece that's that's that was very good. Yeah. That like much better than it had any right to be. It's not often that comedies get recognized for anything at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Comedy sequels. Right. That, that like that's like that's yeah. absurd. We're talking about the second <laughs> Borat movie that was on Amazon. Right. <laughs> Right, and she, and she's we're talking about runner. a direct to Amazon Borat movie. Like the first time I saw like an Ali G bootleg DVD in like the early two thousands, I did not expect that guy and his co star in an Ali G show character to be nominated for movies yeah. like twenty years, you know, twenty years later. But it endures, and they they and to me. So we already talked about Glenn Close. She's the best part of Hillbilly Elegy, which is saying that the hair in your soup was the best part of going to like a Panera. Um, Amanda Seyfried, who you guys like, I personally felt was overrated. I have uh, her below Yu Jung Yoon. Uh, I have Coleman third, just because Coleman's always great, but she doesn't have to do a well, lot I, of heavy lifting. Uh, what? <laughs> I didn't see that, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry too. Uh, it is. I do think it's a two-person race between Bakalova and, and Yoon. Yoon's great. I mean, she's by far my favorite part of that movie, uh, besides Alan Kim, who I uh, filed papers to adopt. Um, he's just so damn precocious and great. He's so cute. But I, I, if I had to pick one, yeah, I'm gonna go. With, uh, wins above replacement. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go with the person that would have. You could have put another grandmother in that in that role and the movie probably would have still been all right you mess up tutar in borat subsequent movie film and you got zoolander too you know what i mean yeah you yeah you 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 need maria bakalova very specifically to do that absolutely (laughs) that's a slam dunk for me yeah i hope it's the same for the academy Best actress, which is always a weird category because you have three, uh, like three movies that get nominated for a bunch of things, and then you have the two women in the bad movies that just shows again that women are not getting good enough roles in Hollywood. Uh, Viola Davis, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andra Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand, Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. This is the second place where I'll mention a Palm Springs snub, Christian Malati was fucking stellar in Palm Springs. And again, if any week year, a comedy movie should be recognized or a comedy performance should be recognized. I think not to compare it to another, you know, time loop movie, but that performance is like going, it should be on part of like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day in terms of like what it accomplished and what she did over the course of time. But that's not there. Uh, so I will address the two oddballs here as being the only two that uh oh the only one that saw them and i will say that they are definitely the fourth and the fifth options uh here not just because Kirby, yes not just because i think 
that their performances were necessarily bad. I, I would argue Vanessa Kirby's is really strange. So if you don't know what Pieces of Woman's about, it is essentially about an, a home birth gone wrong and the after effects of what happens to the family, particularly the mother. Uh, it's whole, whole, you know, advertising point is it's got a 15 to 20 minute uh, long take showing the home birth between Vanessa Kirby, her husband, who is Shia LaBeouf, um, and the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the home nurse. Is it, is it graphic? N- not, it's graphic for like five seconds. It's visceral in her, in her, you know, acting and her going through labor, but you get, you know, I wouldn't say it's anything different than like the quick shot of the crowning of knocked up. Like, I don't think it's anything beyond that. It's just intense and in that you're not leaving the space. It's by far the best part of the movie. It's the first 20 minutes of the movie. And then I have to sit through the next hour and 40. Um, and 20 of those minutes are Shia LaBeouf's penis. That's one of the pieces of the woman. Yeah. Uh, you haven't lived till you've been in another person's house and hope they don't come home while Shia LaBeouf's penis is on the screen. <laughs> hope it doesn't get burned into plasma, Steve says. <laughs> I'm hoping that the children don't wake up and I have to pause the television and I come down. <laughs> and that's when everyone decides to return. Just a very, very odd movie that I was not a fan of. Uh, take that and times it by 100 on how I felt about the United States versus Billie Holiday which is my number 15 out of 15 movies nominated for the big six categories. Uh, is bad. Lee Daniels is not a good director. Uh, he has no idea how to like calmly and cohesively put things together. He thinks that mumbo jumbo and noise is art and expressiveness and just has no chill factor in his storytelling or his style. And, and unfortunately swallowed up, I think, a good introductory performance by Andrew Day. Like, she's just a good R&B singer. And I think she does a really good job at being Billie Holiday. But it's really hard to tell when you have Garrett Hudlin just being a, a racist caricature. And the guy from Moonlight trying to prove to people that he can act it was just a really odd, bad movie. Um, so that leaves you with the other three. Uh, and Francis McDormand shit in a bucket, so that leaves us with two. I got Viola Davis first, Carrie Mulligan second, uh, Freddie McPhee third. I got it switched, and I, I would be totally fine with Viola Davis. Like, if you say you're not fine with Viola Davis winning an acting award, there's something inherently fucking wrong with you. Especially this one. It's like, I could understand people saying they preferred Carrie Mulligan's performance. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, the Viola Davis one is, like, they told her to crank it up to 11. They told her, like, hey, take out the subtlety here. Just just let it rip. Oh, yeah, she's and, showy. And I liked seeing how far... I liked seeing how, how fast she could make the car go. Agreed. When she just put her foot down. And that was exhilarating for me. 100%. Uh, Mulligan was also great. Yeah, I, I, my vote ultimately is for Mulligan. That's more so definitely like the you have yours. McDormand's got fucking two, so she ain't she ain't fucking need it. Um, but yeah, that's why I'm like, yeah, Mulligan, get, go get yours. And Viola, she won for what Fargo and three three billboards. Mm-hmm. Correct. 
She should have won for Blood Simple. Have you guys seen Netflix? I have it. I've not seen it. I just recently bought it. Criterion had a a good sale, but um, that's her like that's her launching point. That is her first movie. It's the Coen Brothers' first movie. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. You should make a priority to watch that if you own it and haven't watched it yet. Yeah, it is. It is high on my list of of nominations coming up. Soon. It was on uh, HBO Max. For any listeners that have HBO Max, check out Blood Simple. Rich, any dogs in the fight here? I liked Vanessa Kirby on The Crown. Oh, that's where and she's Hobbs from. and Shaw. <laughs> but that's all I Who got. Was she in the crown? Who was she in The Crown? Uh, uh, Margaret, Princess Margaret, in the first season. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. I like her. The crown was one of the other screeners that I have now. So if I uh, want to get up from my seat, instead of just putting on Netflix, I have that as an option. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> fucking screeners for a fucking Netflix show. Yeah. Fucking, you All my screeners, uh, the little things, is like it was on HBO Max, but that limited. Yeah. I got yeah. The Five Bloods, Sound of Metal, One Night in Miami, and this, uh, I think this uh, Barry Jenkins thing called When They See Us, which I've not seen, um, but I'm oh, very interested in. part of Mangrove? Um, like that series? No, that he it wasn't. I, I wasn't sure. I think he might just be a producer on it. I'm, I'm unsure. And then for TV, I got The Crown, Dead to Me, Queen's Gambit, Stranger Things, and something else. I forget what it was. Um, but yeah, it's all like, there's. that's all just streaming, but they still send yeah. them out. I just get it. The production like design of it all or like the, sure. like the marketing aspect of it is, is riveting um best actor we got as your nominees let me go to my list here Riz Ahmed Sound of Metal Chadwick Boseman Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Anthony Hopkins The Father Gary Oldman Mank Stephen Young Minari uh I would be totally happy with removing Gary Oldman and replacing him with Delroy fucking Lindo. Yep. No problem with that. No issue. A fucking travesty that despite everything that movie, Delroy Lindo did not get uh, a sniff at anything just because it came out too early in the fucking year, just for the monologue alone. Um, I love, I like Steven Young as a person. And I think he is a fine actor. I'm still just not used to him being like a serious actor. And yeah, besides, I kind of didn't buy him in this performance a little bit. I think he didn't strike me as like scary dad. I didn't buy him as like scary threatening dad. See, the only thing that I did like was some of his nonverbal moments and some of the arguments. I thought he had a really emotive face in some of those, but I, I didn't like his like any of his dialogue. Uh, but I agree, he didn't necessarily scare me. Uh, would uh, if Stephen Young won, would he be the first improviser to win an Academy Award? Robin Williams. No, but I mean like, like improviser, know. improviser. Yeah, like part of a team improviser. When it, Robin Williams improvised, you were along for the ride. Robin Williams' improv- improvisation was Coke residuals. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll get back to you on that. I'm I'm sure okay, he's great. probably close. Uh, I'd replace him with Mads Mikkelsen, and then. I would, I would definitely put Matt Mickelson in that list. Yeah, he was yeah. very, very good in another round. And then I like Riz Ahmed. I do, but I, I don't know if it's best actor to me. Um, I fucking love Tom Hanks and News of the World, which I'm just at the point now where it's like 
Tom Hanks not getting nominated every year for most things, I think is sad just because you've been there so many times. Like he's still great. <laughs> Didn't see the movie. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that, that's totally fine. But this is this is a trend that's happening. He had to. He finally got it for won't uh, for a beautiful day in the neighborhood, which by all accounts was like, oh yeah, it was a make good for like the last six nominations he fucking yeah. missed. It's a uh, MJ for MVP, man. You know. Yeah, basically. He has an Oscar though, doesn't he? For like Philadelphia. He's got two. He got one back to back. He got Philadelphia and he got uh, Forrest Gump. Right. Forrest Gump. Yeah. yeah. And he should probably have four because he got beat for Saving Private Ryan. And he oh God, lost. That year? Uh, it wasn't. It was a Shakespeare in Love year, but it wasn't Shakespeare in oh, Love. Goodwill Hunting. No, I think it was the other year. Hold on, uh, nineteen. I'll tell you in just a second. Um, and then the other thing. Uh, Cat. He didn't win for fucking Castaway. <laughs> um, I'm I'm okay with that. That's a good movie, but I'm okay with him not winning. Yeah. Uh, he lost to Roberto Benigni. Life is beautiful. Yeah. Well said about that. Yeah. <laughs> We've had way too much Roberto Benini on this podcast. There's so already then, been too much Benini. Yeah, so it comes down to a two-person race between Bozeman and Hopkins. Uh, you always get scared for posthumous nominations because you want it to feel earned and you want it to be... You, you don't want it to be an honorary award just for the moment. So when I watched Ma Rainey, I very much had my guard up on it. And then like literally after like 15 minutes, I'm like, okay, no, this, this was best bound to happen anyway. Thank goodness. He's, he's on another level in that movie. Especially when you take into account everything that he was going through at the time he was making the fucking movie. <laughs> That's acting. Which was what? I'm sorry, I don't know if you can just be a bit more specific. He, uh, he was going through treatment for the the cancer that ultimately took his life. Oh, got it. Yeah, like he, that movie was being made. Like he made that and he made whatever he did on the last two Avengers movies while actively going oh, through treatment. Oh, wait, I'm treatment. sorry. I thought you were talking about Hopkins. I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is old. <laughs> I was like, Anthony Hopkins is alive. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so, and also in the Marvel movies. Yes, yes. For uh, wait, oh my god, yeah. He, he I was now... going to say, wait, is he? And then I'm like, wait, I don't want to know anything about the Marvel movies. Don't even start. <laughs> he is deceased in the Marvel movies. Um, spoiler alert. Now, that being said, if I've ever been an advocate for a tie, this is the best Anthony Hopkins performance I've ever seen in my fucking life. And he was Hannibal fucking Lecter. He is extraordinary in this performance if if it wasn't for the outpouring of support for Bozeman and in the story that happened I think he would be a runaway I will not be shocked if this is the big shocker of the night because they were very strategic so you mentioned earlier about putting Stanfield in supporting to avoid Bozeman I think the father purposefully waited to release until around now it's only been out for about a month or so to be more in the conversation and be more on the top of people's minds to potentially 
tip the balance of power into his favor over Bozeman. I'd still be pretty surprised, but don't be surprised if that is the big shocker of the night. Well, that'll definitely warm absolutely nobody's heart if it happens. Oh, no, I know. And that sucks because then at that point, that performance in that movie will have a stigma to it that it would not deserve. Um, but yeah, like it would almost be the worst thing for him if if he did win that. And it would yeah. be like, oh my God, really? Yeah. It'd be like, oh, they gave it to the oldest white person in the room instead of Chadwick Bozeman. Oh, yeah. They gave it to this super old, already decorated white actor instead of this dead, transcendent black actor who was taken from us the same year he made this this swan song performance that he made while cancer was killing him that's why i'm begging for a tie if anything like just give it a tie so at least they both get it um yeah i can't encourage you enough to, to check it out but it should be bozeman um yeah it's i every monologue that he has about god is just so hard to sit through, but then also just so powerful at the same time. Um, the thing See about the movie, if you haven't, just watch it. It's on Netflix. Everybody's got Netflix. Watch my Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. Go it to yourself. The other thing about the Hopkins performance, I want to say that I think reason ultimately why I would pick Bozeman over Hopkins is because Hopkins is also the benefit of a really, really incredible narrative structure that they put on the father. The way I explained it to Sam and the part of the reason why it makes it so devastating is you basically are sitting through a dementia simulator in this movie. Like what I was going to say, is it told just like choppy and like out of order and there's large sections missing and you're not given context for things. And so you kind of discover it. yeah. Yeah. The, the, it is pointedly selectively nonlinear at moments. It, uh, it, it juggles casting. Uh, it makes you, confused as to what you're watching but you always know what's happening because you don't have dementia but you're living it through his 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 being and i think that ultimately is what i would tip it to bozeman for is hopkins is really bolstered by that decision and can live it out that way whereas bozeman is just on stage fucking acting he's reaching the back fucking row through your screen yeah, he hit Rosie in my living room. Mm-hmm. What uh, what is the father available on? Uh, it's just for rental at the moment. So yeah, so I I plunked down. Thankfully, I I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm gonna pay twenty dollars to see the fucking father. I was like, this is gonna be the reader all over again. Thanks, Tony. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did we see that for free when you work the theater? <laughs> yeah, but I still felt like I paid for it. <laughs> I got nominated instead of Wally in the Dark Knight. I'm still mad about that. We all paid for the reader in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, two hours of your life are never getting back. But uh, but yeah, I uh, yeah, but I was totally fine with okay. That that's twenty dollars well spent for that movie. So it'll it'll go down to like the five ninety nine rentals price pretty soon. Uh, director Zhao for Nomad Land. I lost my. I'm staring at Roberto Benigni. My apologies. Give me just a moment. Which is a I've got the nominees here. Oh, yeah, please, please. Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. Or, sorry. Uh, in alphabetical order. Lee mm-hmm. Isaac Chung for Minari. Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. David Fincher for Meg. Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. And Chloe Zhao for Nomad. So who is your winner that didn't get nominated, Tony? Uh, you know what? 
I would have said before my recent movie watching uh, spree, I would have said Shaka King would have been my number one. But mm -hmm. I think I'm going to move him to number. I think I'm going to move him to number three. Okay. And my winter is my 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 Winterberg is Thomas Winterberg. <laughs> yeah, I have Winterberg is three uh, on my Everyone list. Fiddle is two on my list. Uh, see, I had Fiddle originally as my three, and I moved it on to four because I, I I didn't see it as like a directing movie. I saw it as a performance and, and writing movie. I had Fincher as two just because I think you just have to put Fincher two. For the gimmick, and also just for, just because he, you see the directing seeping through the screen at, at all moments. Um, it, yeah, it's a movie that, as much as it is about a a writer, and as much focus as as has been on the writing process of both Mank and Citizen Kane over the years. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie that is just a director's fun house and you can totally see that it's just picture playing. Absolutely. The, uh, the snub that really bothered me, we talked about Minari being fine. I didn't see anything proprietarily impressive about Lee Isaac Chung's directing in that movie. Whereas no. I don't know what the, the hangup is in the Academy's mind about honoring first time directors that came from actors because Regina King not being here to me is a goddamn travesty from as I talked about like staging a film and what she did do with the limited space that she used with some of those those scenes and drawing out the acting performances of those four was like after A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper like noticeably somebody that just has a, a natural eye for this that should be doing this Permanently, despite the fact that she's a phenomenal actress and probably like one yeah, of yeah, she's created stories. everything. Yeah, so yeah. it's like I just want to see her. I want to see her in two movies a year, and I want to see her direct a movie every other year. And that's yeah. that's it. I hope people put enough money in her hand to make it happen. Yeah, I think she's yeah, I think she's gonna have the rocket strapped to her in, in Hollywood. I hope. Um, which the same goes for your winner here, and who I would ultimately choose as winner would be Chloe Zhao, for the reasons I kind of talked about earlier providing a scope for something that's so small and intimate and also drawing out these real life people into, you know, characters of themselves, either turned up or turned down was really surprising and wonderful to see. Um, and everyone's, you know, been talking about like who the next director is, you know, Ryan Coogler had a lot of that, that, mojo and heat and still kind of does um I, I think it's might end up being chloe Zhao because and tony you're gonna hate to hear this she got a big marvel movie coming out in november <laughs> and and to quote well, coogler's done the best one he's actually done the only one that i've seen the only mcu movie that i've seen outside right. of iron man which i saw with you guys when we lived together and all had hair <laughs> what and you could, and you didn't I've pay seen. for it. <laughs> you didn't pay for it. True, yeah. And um, uh, I did pay for my uh, Disney Plus to see Black Panther. I, from all, from everything I've heard, so this is what's happening is they're openly waiting because they just released their Shang Chi trailer this week. 
they're waiting for her to win this so they can be like from academy award winning director chloe zhao and from everything i've heard they're also waiting because they think they really have something on a black panther level with this because of her so that's why i'm thinking like this could be a full-blown anointment of like the next hollywood golden child is somebody that can bring a nomad-like sensibility to the Marvel Cinematic Universe or things of that scope. That's fine. That's fine. But I guess I would say, like, like let's let's just take this award on its merit. How was the directing in Nomadland? Okay, so if we have already awarded it for cinematography, mm-hmm. we've already said yes. This is this is very beautifully shot uh, landscapes and magic hour shots of beautiful landscapes and the American West, which is notoriously picturesque. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that wasn't easy to shoot, but I think there was probably more to it that was location scouting, frankly, because you're not doing a lot of, you know, set dressing. There's not a lot of production design in the exteriors. You know, you're pretty much just letting the camera roll, which is its own talent as Mm -hmm. a director. And, I am sure that it takes more work to work with non-professional actors like they did here. Um, that said, I, the movie has a lot of huge issues that I think kind of are the problem of, of the person who is bringing it to life. And I don't think that, I mean, those have been talked about elsewhere ad, ad nauseum, but I think that's one of the, the things that you really can't overlook here and say like, that's oh, kind of the director's problem is like to kind of make it all sing together and it it really is dissonant (laughs) it's funny i almost asked you the question that you had written on the back of your notepad was why do you think (laughs) because every year you try to come up with like what the narrative is as to why and so like on very rare occasions like last year it's like oh well the best actual movie one like parasite was without question the best movie of last year yeah that and, was just an awesome singular movie and as soon as you saw it if it didn't hit you i don't know what happened yeah but that's very rarely the case and there's always some kind of story whether it be competition or what's going on in the world and i don't know what it is about nomadland is the what we settle on because there are much there are much there are much more present stories between the two that we've been, you know, trumpeting the most, promising them for me, Judas and the Black Messiah for you, and then everything else kind of surrounding it that are more now than nomad land. Is it just because I guess it, I, I can't verbalize it. I, I, I don't know. I, I wish I could answer your question beyond it just being a, a different look in the middle of a year that kind of felt like we all kind of felt like we were in nomad land this year. Like, is that what it is? Well, so I, I, I read an interesting criticism of it today. Um, I think it was um, Dana Stevens in Slate, and she was talking about how um, the movie has a lot of, like a lot of people have issues with how the movie ducks politics entirely Hmm. when it 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 really is about politics a lot (laughs) or it 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 really should be or there's like a lot of politics that are happening but are not being talked about in a way that's really noticeable if you 
think about that kind of thing at all. And one of the things that Dana Stevens talked about is that she thought that it was a bit of a coward choice to set the movie in 2011 because the book, of course, was written around that time period. But there's really nothing about the story that, that needs to be in that time period at all. That movie could have been set just as easily in 2018 when it was shot, mm-hmm. except that you would have had to, like, you couldn't have that movie and, and, and not have the words Donald Trump spoken or see, like, MAGA stickers somewhere on yeah. somebody's van or, like, have it talked about. You're just like, why do old white people feel disaffected? Like, you would have to talk about it. And this movie, by taking place before that phenomenon happened, like completely ducks that. And like, it seems like it's trying to talk about a sort of economic disconnection and disaffection. But then not only doesn't it talk about it, it like embraces Amazon, like really explicitly. And uh, I think the movie gets its politics um, entirely wrong to the extent that it hasn't to the extent that it's not nihilistic, which I think it is quite nihilistic. Um, but I think it gets its politics entirely, entirely wrong and kind of f- fails to read things badly, um, which is a big part of why I think it, it, it kind of doesn't work. Yeah, I, I was trying to hypothesize or kind of uh, diagram in my head how this movie would get political. Cause also I do think that there is a chance with, you know, kind of reading into some of the, the theologies of, of the people involved, there could be, you know, the other side of that as well. Um, probably not as prevalent, but I think it could be, could be present. But then I totally forgot about the Amazon thing till you said it and realized as soon as it happened, I was like, this feels really, really really out of place <laughs> it's a commercial for amazon and the only reason that they had to like they 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 pulled the punches on it because amazon let them shoot in a real amazon warehouse and to like use the amazon name so of course like they couldn't say anything yeah but it's like how are you not going to talk about that even the teeniest tiniest way is exploitative yeah. when they have like specifically this program that they talk about as like catering to people that live in campers and shit in buckets and it's like you're talking about this as like, yeah, you know, it's good work. Like for quality of life, I mean, I'm a socialist, but Jesus Christ, this movie had its politics entirely wrong. Yeah, I I, I totally forgot the Amazon part of it. So I I agree. I, I and I think I think that we figured out why it's here is <laughs> because it is the movie that on the surface appears to be willing to get its hands a little dirty but underneath it all does not and i mean not at all that's and and sorry no you're sorry the politics are are so backward because the ultimate message of the movie right fern has two offers to go back into what you and i would think of as like normal living in Mm -hmm. a house right her sister offers and then the david Trithera character offers and she says no both times right so not only is it this like weird voyeuristic portrait of this subculture 
but it also kind of makes the point that like, no, there are just people that like to live this way. There isn't a need to fix this. There isn't anything societally wrong with this. We're not witnessing like an elder care atrocity playing out for 90 minutes in microcosm and macrocosm when they zoom out and show you larger groups of things. Like the movie doesn't really make that point. In fact, it kind of absolves us from from thinking about that as a problem. And that to me was another area that, that I felt like it just got it its point backward or it just failed to examine the right element of it. it was like yeah she's lonely because of loss but like we also got the whole part where like capitalism fucked her out of a place to live in a community and that is she she laments it but like that's not seen as like inequitable or tragic it's just like that's it's just like capitalism happens yeah i'm like well ugh. well yeah but ugh. I think what made it attractive at first is that it seemed like another potential, like initially another potential, like, oh, parasite type feel good win. But it actually is probably closer to a green book win than people it's would. It's closer to like, it's, it is way closer to like crash or green book. It's way closer. I like to uh, give Rich a shout out when he was just recently, recently visiting me uh, uh, last week uh, from when this is airing or two weeks ago from when this is airing. He does this gimmick where every single time he's at my house, he goes up to my massive movie collection and points out a movie and goes, how was that? And normally I haven't seen it because that's how many movies I own. And then he broke tradition for once and pulled the movie out of the shelves and showed me Green Book and goes, how the fuck do you have this? <laughs> and I was like, because I got it for $4 on Black Friday and I haven't seen it. And one day we're going to do that it is not movies and we're going to no, hate it. Not. Well, I eventually one day want to watch all the best picture winners. So also a bad reason. Uh, I... <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You are going to rewatch the King's speech? Yeah, dude. Save yourself. The oh. fucking... I like the King's speech. It's not oh. the best movie of that year, but I like the movie. Oh, I liked the nap I got out of it, too. Mullet, I was born with a speech impediment. I do not find that movie inspiring or good at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Rich, what is the, what is the, all right, so I talked about Onward, Tony talked about the King's Switch. What is the movie that should have emotionally resonated for you that just doesn't? <laughs> uh, a Dom DeLuise movie called Fatso. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> a real movie? It is a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking it up right now and buying it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Seriously, if you could trade Green Book in for Fatso, please do that. Uh, so, uh, one, it seems like Frances McDormand keeps finding herself in herself in these movies uh, that like try to say the one thing and end up sort of saying like the wrong thing. And not that I've seen three billboards, but it seemed like people were split on that as far as the message it was putting forward. Uh, another thing is I've never all I know about Green Book is what Connor Doyle has ever told me about Green Book uh, in that there's one uh, spot of dialogue where you got Viggo Mortensen uh, driving driving the car, Mahershala Ali in the back, and uh, Viggo uh, uh, says, so what is it you do? In uh, an awful Italian accent. Um, seriously, go back and watch the end of the, four, the April 20th Whack Pack, because I just asked Connor to go through the whole, he's got a whole rant, it's excellent. But this scene, so Vigo asks, hey, what do you do? Uh, and and Marshall Ali responds, 
uh, I play I play music. And he's like, music, huh? Like songs? <laughs> oh my god! Best, best adapt. Be, yeah, this is a best screenplay <laughs> <laughs> winner. Best uh, God. Ugh. Yeah. Every every time I talk, well, every like three times I talk to my dad, he asks me if I've seen Green Book yet. Yeah, <laughs> it's... and it's still like, no, Dad. I heard it's bad. Best... He knows that you're gonna. Yeah, you're gonna break down. The hell, I don't own it. Whenever, whenever Sam and I get around to it, we'll we'll have you guest star on it. That uh, way, you can talk to your father again. <laughs> or what's on your best dad terms on? with my dad I've ever been on. Let's leave it at that. We don't need to bring Green Book into this. I'll have it be an April 1st episode and I'll advertise it as uh, Rich Camelucci. It'll be your fucking dad. And you won't have, you're like, I wasn't on this show. <laughs> uh, another scene uh, features a, a, bunch of, a bunch of Italians watching a baseball game. And uh, a, 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 one of the Yankees, Roger Maris, hits the ball, hits a home run. And the whole time they're like, go, 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 go 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 oh so like cheering on the ball the whole time there's another scene where vigo mortensen takes a whole pizza folds it in half and eats it that's just something i want to do but i don't want to see in a movie it's not really uh screen uh photogenic if you will yeah sorry we're talking about this year best picture uh, we'll just go through our our final rankings. You know, we probably said them throughout most of the episode. Uh, the movies are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, my list from bottom to top here would be number eight, Trial of Chicago 7. Number seven, Mank. Number six, Sound of Metal. Number five, Minari. Number four, Judas and the Black Messiah. Number three, Nomadland. I'd probably switch that now after talking about it. Uh, number two, The Father. And my winner would be Promising Young Woman. Tony? So I would have Trial of Chicago 7 last. And then I did not see The Father. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely still above Trial of Chicago 7. <laughs> and then I would have uh, six is Nomadland, fifth is Mank, four is Minari, third is Sound of Metal, and another round second behind Judas and the Black Messiah. Another round is a really good flick. Folks, if you have Hulu, do check it out. Don't be scared of reading the movie. It's about drinking. There are lots of fun scenes. So many fun scenes. Danish people drink. It's very easy to follow. It sounds like watching an episode of Anthony Bourdain. It is like watching um, the movie Stand and Deliver combined with an episode of Anthony Bourdain. Yep. <laughs> um, only, you know, Danish. I wish another round had actually, I remember being so confused and angry when it, because every year a foreign international feature like sneaks into best director. I'm like, what the hell is this? And this year, because of my mission, I was going to watch it. And then I was immediately mad at myself for being upset. And then I was like, this movie is perfect for Tony Cole. I need to tell him right away to watch this. Vinterberg was, was great. I was charmed by a lot of the choices. I mean, the directing is, is great. It, it looks great. The pacing is awesome. So damn it's, 
it's a little too long, but it doesn't feel too long. Definitely doesn't you know? feel too long. Nope. Um, all the scenes are necessary. There's not a lot of fat in this movie. Um, the cast is is great. It's really well directed. It's shot really well. There's some beautiful scenes. There's some poignant scenes. Definitely check out another round. Um, oh, yeah. But my number one movie, check out Judas and the Black Messiah. See some acting performances that'll blow your fucking doors off. Um, no. And some really beautifully shot movies. Yeah, uh, it was it was a it was a very well directed movie, honestly. And and I'm glad that uh, Shocker King is like very early in his career because I can't wait to see what else he has in store. Would that be Thank your you. Would that be your pick as well, Rich? Of the ones yeah, seen? for the of the ones that I've seen, that would be that would be my pick. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Uh, this Sunday is the show. I cannot wait for what a shit show it's going to be. I fully expect it to be the shortest Oscars ever because I feel like half the people are not just going to fucking be there to show up because they're forcing people to show up if they want to get their awards. Uh, and you know, Hopkins ain't going to be there. You know, McDor- Hopkins and McDormand aren't there normally. Regular, yeah. Yeah. And, and they have moved all of the musical performances to a pre-show. Oh, so they, they will not be during the broadcast. Yeah. Oh, I knew they were still all happening, but I didn't know they got moved to the pre-show. That wouldn't uh, wouldn't mind if that kind of sticks around after uh, you know pandemic uh, and all that. I was explaining. <laughs> I was explaining to uh, who was oh was, uh, our friend Tatiana was uh, here this past weekend, and we were talking about the Oscars, and I was explaining to her like how one year they just did like a met a quick medley of all five. It was maybe like six or seven minutes. Of course, it was the year that they did fucking Blame Canada. And it's like, well, why do I only get a minute and a half of Blame Canada with Rob Williams? And then I had to explain to her what Blame Canada was because she was born in 1995, um, <laughs> why it was a big deal. But uh, yeah, anything to tighten it up, I'm for. Um, Speaking of, this was a tight 152 minutes we put together here on the pod today. <laughs> hey, been- I barely spoke, so that ain't on me. <laughs> It's been a long time since we've blank slated, so we're going to wrap it up here now. Thank you, but but I would say it is some of our best 150 minutes. We got some comedy in there, some good film analysis, some social commentary, a lot of baseball some talk, some bad film analysis, and Rich Camelucci talking with his hands. It's what the blank slate is for. Tony, tell the people what you got going on if you want to plug anything. I'm not plugging anything, except uh, I am so glad that Derek Chauvin got convicted on all three counts today. Uh, all cops are bastards and keep listening to the blank slate. Oh yeah. Rich. Uh, find me on Instagram where every day I uh, go live with the whack pack where we're rips open another pack of trading cards every single day. We also raise uh, money and funds for great causes and organizations uh, such as for the rest of April, we will be raising money for the equal justice initiative. Uh, and then on April 30th uh, will be the one year anniversary of the whack pack. Uh, and we will be celebrating that with the Wackathon Packathon, uh, which will be just ripping open packs of cards all day. All sorts of, of, of you know, friends that have joined us. New friends, hopefully, will be uh, uh, hopping on the Instagram as well. And uh, we'll be raising money for all sorts of organizations uh, that day. A bunch that we've raised in the past and, and moving forward as well. Beautiful. For me, also, I have an Instagram show that I piggybacked off of Rich uh, for. It's called Boxing Friends, where I show off all the stupid things that I collect and also raise money for various causes, currently raising money for a bunch of uh, charities from my hometown of Akron, Ohio. Uh, that's normally on Thursdays on, uh, on IG, at your host, Malt38. Also, uh, my podcast I mentioned earlier, Made With Movies, available wherever you hear your podcasts every single Thursday. This week's episode was X-Men Dark Phoenix, unfortunately. 
Um, yeah, I saw that at your house too. I was like, I'm, I'm not. I can't ask about too many of these shitty movies at once. I blame that what on X Men Dark Phoenix. It is the what movie the- that finally killed the X Men franchise. It's their second attempt at the, telling the Dark Phoenix saga after they failed at, at X Men: The Last Stand. Uh, it is the the swung song of the the younger X Men of Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, Nicholas Holt. Uh, it was. Uh, not to spoil the podcast, the worst X-Men movie ever made after the best X-Men movie that was ever made. Logan. Um, you can also read my retro wrestling diary, arcade slash pod as I am currently suffering through the year 1993 in professional wrestling, which if you know, is probably the worst year in wrestling history. Boys, always a pleasure. Let's not make it be so long next time. We definitely got to have a, a hoops pod here in the next couple months before the playoffs start. I still have my uh, prep sheet from the uh, preseason blank slate pod that never occurred. So, well, you will host that, and we will keep it as tighter than this was. Uh, and we also discuss uh, me running a half marathon, which is definitely happening now. And we'll see what happens between the close race you two got going on. We can use the proceeds from my uh, Julius Randle most improved player bet win to uh, purchase some breakfast baconators, Rich. <laughs> When you uh when you mentioned you made that bet, I quickly uh went and got in on that as well. Man, I was gonna say what we should do is like as soon as the playoffs start, do a season recap and then we'll put the video up on Patreon as the exclusive for the loser to eat the bacon ears. But I realized we'd be recording at night, so those bacon ears would suck. <laughs> uh yeah. Oh man, yeah. I mean, but how much I... worse can they really be? <laughs> it's not your guts <laughs> I'd rather run a half marathon that, that is my autobiography it's not your guts, the Chris Mullet story for Rip and Tony this is Mullet signing out for the blank slate you can go ahead and delete this now catch a slate. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.